Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hey, everyone. Hi. So today we've got another extra long spoiler episode for you, covering yeah. <laughs> the remainder of the cards from Commander Legends. Uh, got plenty of new commanders and main oh, deck yeah. potential staples to talk about. Um, so we're going to jump in in just a moment. But before we do, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon if you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, the first commander we're going to talk about is Alharu Solemn Ritualist. They are four and a white for a 3-3 legendary human monk. When Alharu enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two other target creatures. Whenever a non-token creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it dies, create a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying, and it has partner. Who do you think would be good partners to stick with Elharu? I think Rehan is kind of by far the one we've mentioned most with plus one plus one counters because Rehan adds usually the most colors. Rehan is actually good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rehan also wants things to die, so... Uh, in the same way that Alharo here is like wanting things to die, Rehan does that too. Kalith, the horse that gives your commander's counters is good because they just get bigger. It's free counters. They're really cheap. When it attacks, it gets counters. Prava. Prava boosts your 1-1 one, one spirits, mm-hmm. gives them a big butt. So that's, you know, it makes sense to pair with, with Alharo in this deck. Yes. Those are like the immediate ones that, that like make sense to me. But the, the one of the things about this deck and one of the reasons I like Rayhan so much is that I think you really want like black. Mm-hmm. So I was like looking at trying to make some of these like expensive plus one plus one counter commanders work because there's a lot of commanders that deal with plus one plus one counters, but they're all like five, six mana. Um, we're going to talk about a few more in this episode too. Mm-hmm. And they want black, but then the black partners are like six mana. They're like... When your commanders are like six mana, six mana, five mana, six mana, it feels really bad. So like, even though this deck does really want black, I don't know if I would, I would personally pair it with any of the black partners Mm -hmm. uh, other than like Rayhan who already exists. So, but yeah, I don't know if you, what what, uh, other ideas you would have for this commander. Yeah. I definitely think that black is important for this deck Yeah, in part because you can set up some like sacrifice loops where... Creatures are going in and out of the graveyard and Alharu is making 1-1 spirits all the while. And it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to make that happen in black than in just a mono-white color identity. Yeah, you get so many good sack outlets in that regard. Maybe like Tormod would be good in that regard, but not necessarily because of synergy, but just because you get black and you're playing with the gravy. I guess that is synergy, but not in the kind that like I feel like this asks for on the surface with like the plus one plus one counter like playing around with yeah well i'm thinking like i mean i think it's not that hard to get plus one plus one counters on your things even Mm -hmm. if they don't naturally get them Mm -hmm. because if you have some sort of effect like a juniper order ranger or something similar you can just get them as they enter the battlefield and i really like the idea of if you have like alharu and tormod then if you have something going with like you know, a whisper or a hell's caretaker. Then you can that, immediately get the value. Y- out of yeah, it. like when something leaves the graveyard, you're getting a zombie. When something goes to the graveyard, you're getting a spirit, and it's just tons of value while yeah. you're going through these loops. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, at the beginning of our 
partners and man is there a journey oh i know <laughs> god we can't spend this much time on each one i know yeah <laughs> the next one i don't actually it, it even though it's splashy i don't have much to say <laughs> mm-hmm. do you want to read her sure this is a chroma vision of ixador five white white for a six six legendary angel she has flying first strike vigilance and trample at the beginning of each combat until end of turn each other creature you control gets plus one plus one if it has flying Plus one, plus one if it has first strike, and so on for double strike, death touch, haste, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, protection, reach, trample, vigilance, and partner. And Akroma has partner. Yeah, I did not expect that. So again, keyword soup on Akroma, who Mm would have thought? Also, what commanders here do you think would work best with her? Because she's kind of just an overrun in some ways. Yeah, which I kind of like. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially as a seven mana like commander i would prefer that i would prefer it i'd like to play my game and then top out with like a seven mana commander instead of like not play effectively until turn seven Mm -hmm. yeah so in terms of partners there's a couple that work specifically well but so for example like rograk the partner kobold is a zero mana four five when you have a chroma out bruce tarl when he enters the battlefield or attacks, he can give something double strike and lifelink, and then additionally plus two plus two from this chroma buff. So it's really turns up the power on his ability. With Kamal, you have a chroma's buff, and you have Kamal's buff, and you can animate your lands yeah, and insane. have them get buff. Uh, so it's just enormous, enormous creatures, provided you have the mana to cast your seven and eight mana commanders. Yeah, if, if you do have the mana to cast your seven and eight mana commanders, it becomes one G to make a land an eight, eight. So like that's that's huge, but yeah. also that's so much mana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like your Nyx Bloom Ancient, your uh, mana reflection, and like, you just have to play them all. Yeah, yeah. So like if you're interested in playing a, Big mana, big stomp deck. Uh, that then Kamal and Akroma yeah. <laughs> is your onslaught block pairing that you want to go for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Falthus, which is the menace the sh- and death touch cat. Yeah, the, the familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, Falthus gives plus two or gets plus two plus two from Akroma's buff, and she gives Akroma even more keywords. Mm-hmm. Just the six six, even more keywords. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then Kraum, which is Ludovic's opus may have been forgotten so i'm just gonna go ahead and and read him again he's three blue red for a four four zombie horror with flying in haste whenever an opponent casts his or her second spell each turn draw cards and has partner so it is by itself going to be a three turn evasive clock because it has flying haste and partner so that's something if you just want to um use a chroma sort of to buff your voltron strategy but in general i was kind of just looking at if you were to really just build a chroma as an overrun effect i think that white black and green are the best like keyword soup colors yeah all oh of, for sure yeah all of those colors have access to a lot of like vampire nighthawk-esque just tons of keywords on a single creature yeah, like vorapedes and your your questing beasts and whatever that exists in the green mythic space these days yeah pretty much everything that's in like a cathril deck would go into an akroma deck so if you pair akroma with say a uh, rehan or an mm-hmm. ikra shidiki ikra shidiki might be slightly better because i believe she has menace right I think she has a, a yeah a keyword so she'd get plus two plus two so those would be good pairings just if you want to 
go for keyword tribal and try to get as much of a buff off of Akrama as possible. Did not think I would see her again. Uh, not like this, but she's got the cool little leggies this time. Having an overrun commander isn't super common in white. So. No, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. We have some blue partners now. This first one is Essior. I'm going to double check with the, the Essior <laughs> sounds good. That sounds fine. Okay, I'll cool. Essior, Warding Familiar, a 1-3 bird for one and a blue. They have flying because they're a bird. Spells your opponent's cast that target one or more commanders you control. Costs three more to cast, and they have partner. So really, I think this is here to make draft work. You're like, oh no, I need to pivot to blue, and I didn't pick up a commander, and then this like wheels like twice. But also, I think really the biggest benefit to this guy is like you want to add blue to your deck. Mm-hmm. Like I want to play a Kodama the East Tree, and I want blue. And I don't want Kodama to die. Isior is your guy. Here he is. You're putting him in. You got your your protection. You got your blue cards. Hmm. Here you go. It curves really well into other like partners that are very important to game plans, like Timna. So this goes turn two Isior, turn three Timna. Immediately draw a card. Immediately draw a card because flying. It's two mana. Um, and now both of them are like hard to target with spot removal. Mm-hmm. So not the most interesting, but yeah, something. But if you just really love your other partner and want to protect it, this is a pretty, I mean, this is like the perfect thing to pair it with. Yeah, exactly. And it yeah, it's so cheap. Um, this next one is Glacian Power Stone Engineer. A six mana, five and a blue for a three, six human artificer. He has tap, tap X, untapped artifacts you control, look at the top X cards of your library, put one of those cards into your hand, and the rest into your graveyard, uh, and then he partners. I didn't like this as much until I saw that the other X cards go to your graveyard. I still don't think I'm super high on him, but I don't think he's as bad, because typically in artifact lists, the graveyard is like your second hand a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like you get things back from there. If you partner him with like a red yeah, creature. Yeah, exactly. So like if this was like a red-blue artifacts commander or like a blue-black artifacts commander, I could see that being a game plan you're going to have. And and in that vein, like Silas Ren is a good partner for him because Silas Ren, 2-2 uh, Death Touch, when he hits, you can cast an artifact from your grave this turn. So you can tap Glacian, like get one of the cards off the top, put something else that's value in your graveyard and then like cast it with Silas. I mean, that's not the most powerful of directions to go though. I think this guy is kind of underpowered in general, but I mean, are there any partners that you would see partnering with him? I think that in addition to Silas, Tormod makes sense because you're, as you're activating your Glacian, you're filling up the yard and then you can potentially like recur those creatures in order to get zombies. Um, with Armix, he is a really good partner for this. He wants you to be playing with a bunch of artifacts. He also dumps stuff into the yard. And and when, if you like hit multiple artifacts off of your Glacian, then the others go into your graveyard and that just ups Armix's count. So I think that's a great partner to pair with him. And then also maybe Keskit, um, who can sacrifice creatures and artifacts in order to look at the top cards of your library and put two into your hand. Glacian's going to be casting artifacts, which you can then sacrifice to Keskit. Um, they're both filling up your graveyard. They're both digging through your library. There's some synergy to be had there. Couldn't really find anything 
explicitly in red that really worked with them. So I feel like a lot of the other partners that you'd play with Glacian are like four colors or specifically you're playing them to like add colors as opposed to like a synergy partnering, which is whatever. But I I just don't think we're going to see too much of this guy. Oh, this next one is very exciting. Yeah. Do you want to read them off? Sure. This is Sakashima of a Thousand Faces. Three and a blue for a 3-1 human rogue. You may have it enter the battlefield as a copy of another creature you control, except it has Sakashima's other abilities. And the other abilities are partner and the legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control. So this is a really interesting Johnny commander. It just opens up a bunch of really weird lines of play. Yeah, it's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, having mirror gallery in the command zone is so cool. So if you're in a green color identity, like if you're partnering Sakashima with a green partner, you can play Grothama and the next turn play Sakashima copying Grothama. They'll both stick around. And then when the first Grothama attacks, you can have the Sakashima Grothama fight it. They will both die and you will draw 20 cards. Yeah. So Grothama, just to remind everyone at home, was from Battle Bond, right? Yes. It was Battle Bond. So it's a 10 8. Mm hmm. Uh, worm for five mana, like three in green, green. And then it has whenever a creature attacks, you may have it fight Grothama. And when Grothama leaves the battlefield, each player who's like creatures dealt damage to Grothama draw that many cards. Yeah. So if you, Sakashima's a Grothama and then Grothama's Grothama and they fight each other, then you're they both dealt 10 to each other and you're just drawing 20 cards. Yeah. For like very little mana that's really insane yeah i love that interaction if you're in white then you can play a yorion and then play sakashima as another yorion and then they'll just go through this cycle of blinking each other we talked about this a bit when we were um, going through the Aquaria set review but you just have this loop that triggers every end step where they swap places with each other just as you're doing this you get to untap all your mana rocks you get to blink any other permanents you have with etb triggers so um, it's just a great thing to go through if you have a lot of ETB creatures in your deck. Yeah, that one's really powerful, I think, too. Oh, this next interaction is pretty goofy. It's so funny. Um, so I think it just makes sense if you're in a Sakashima deck to run a bunch of clones. And if you're in a Bant color identity, so you've partnered Sakashima with a green-white partner, then you can have a Yannick. So Yannick is two green-white for a 3-3 Hyena Beast. It partners with Nakara Layer, Layer Scavenger, it has vigilance, and when it enters the battlefield, exile another creature you control until Yannick leaves the battlefield. When you do, distribute X plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures where X is the exiled creature's power. So if you have Yannick on the battlefield and you play a clone copying Yannick, you can Yannick your Yannick, and then you play, and then of course put some counters somewhere. Then you play another clone, and you copy the copied Yannick. So you Yannick that Yannick, the first Yannick returns, and then you basically just start this like O-ring loop where these three Yonics keep consuming each other <laughs> and distributing com- counters among, among your other creatures infinitely. Mm-hmm. You can interrupt the loop whenever you want by just having the clones copy something else. It's just a really neat, goofy thing you can do to make your creatures infinitely large. So funny. There's And there's so many like goofy things you can do like that. Uh, this next one is if you're in Jeskai, you can just copy a Pramicon. Basically, no one can attack because mm-hmm. they have to attack left and right which is impossible and then clones become extra combat steps with like an Aurelia 1.0 on the battlefield you can attack with 
Aurelia, play a clone, attack with Aurelia, play a clone, attack with Aurelia, play like you can play stolen identity on your Aurelia. Um, you can play so you go Sakashima, copy Aurelia with the stolen identity on it. You don't like she only has the stolen identity once. She hits, you get another one, you hit, you get another one. It's just another way to go like infinite with something like that. Blade of Cells, you actually hit with your commanders now. Mm-hmm. Woo! So there's a ton of commanders that get really good when they can get multiple combat triggers in a round. Uh, so that happens with Blade of Cells. Almost limitless possibilities to this. Just th- What this basically says is that you can clone whatever, have fun. Where before clones were kind of limited because of the legend rule and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So really cool. <laughs> I think this is a really cool partner. There are some other synergistic partners. I think the when you go to a shop and you see someone uh who maybe is trying a little bit too hard you'll see like kodama the east tree with sakashima it's just so easy to combo off so easy to combo off it's so easy to just uh, you're you're in simic so you have like the best cards like period uh and then just comboing is incredible aboro gives you infinite landfall Uh, aboro is a legendary land from kamigawa block it taps for blue and you can pay well, hold on. Do you mind if I read off Kodama? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, just for those who aren't familiar with him, because it does take a little while for this to stick in your head. Uh, Kodama the East Tree is four green green for a legendary spirit. It has reach, and whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control, if it wasn't put onto the battlefield with this ability, you may put a permanent card with equal or lesser converted mana cost from your hand onto the battlefield. So with Sakashima, if you have a second Kodama, both your Kodamas will trigger. You can bounce it to your hand put it onto the battlefield with one, and then the other Kodama will trigger. It bounces back to your hand, put it onto the battlefield with that second Kodamas, and then back and forth, and you get infinite landfall if it's like a self-bouncing land or an Oboro, and infinite creature fall if it's a self-bouncing creature. And this is true with, you can turn any land into this with a Storm Cauldron. Storm Cauldron is a four mana artifact Mm -hmm. uh, that says each player may play an additional land each turn whenever a player taps a land for mana return that land to its owner's hand you just play it you can play two lands a turn that's cool but also your kodamas mean you just put them you just put them back Mm -hmm. you just just put them them back on the battlefield (laughs) um so it's pretty easy way to go infinite never thought you'd see a storm cauldron (laughs) as a staple in a commander deck (laughs) get you (laughs) Um, yeah, really insane. So the other one, uh, so Storm Cauldron does this for lands. It turns any land into an infinite mana loop. If you have both of your commanders as Kodamas, Cloudstone Curio does a very similar thing with Creature Fall and whatever ETBs are on your dudes. Um, so like whenever Creature enters, abilities will trigger. Cloudstone Curio is a three mana artifact that says whenever a non-artifact permanent you control enters the battlefield, uh, you may return a permanent of the same type to your hand. They knew it'd be a little too easy with <laughs> artifacts. And it's still very easy with not artifacts. So you can basically have these creatures that enter, bounce another creature, and then you get multiple drop triggers from your Kodamas. So if they're bouncing uh, with Cloudstone Curio, you can kind of just like loop between two objects and uh, it's nuts. It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of value. Yeah, it's very easy to combo off. Very easy. It's just so easy to combo. So this like is one of the combo pairings that uh, I'm expecting to see uh, when someone just wants to win really hard. <laughs> Another combo pairing that I I really like. This is the the pairing with this that is kind of 
my favorite just because it's it's Kirk. I love Kirk. Kirk the Thumbless and Sakashima is hilarious. Uh, you have a 50% chance to basically, whenever you cast a spell, get it twice and bring it back to your hand, which is hilarious. You have a 25% chance to like get the spell three times and then a 25% chance to just like not at all get the spell. <laughs> so... So most of the time, it's very good for you. Um, and then the ability to maybe have multiple Krark's thumbs is also hilarious. Uh, that's just, you're just going to drive the table. Like, don't use an actual coin. Please, please don't <laughs> use an actual coin. Like, use a coin flipper. Use your phone. It has a random number generator on it. You have the internet. Please just flip coins with the button. Don't don't take, if you have three Krark's thumbs out, don't flip an actual coin. <laughs> please. I'm begging you. Um, Malcolm doubles treasure production when this happens that's like actually legitimately something to to talk about like malcolm's treasure production on it the surface has been insane just from like what i've seen and what like friends have been testing with so if you have two malcolms that that seems like it goes crazy really quickly timna you're doubling your card draw that's also insane and then Akroma, i think oh we didn't mention this well because we hadn't talked about sakashima yet but so if you use the Akroma we just talked about, Sakashima makes Akroma an 11-11, and Akroma will make Sakashima a 12-12, which are both two-turn clocks. And then every clone after that increases the output further um, by a decent chunk. Then you're just attack. You, you basically, if you have uh, Akroma, a Sakashima, and then a clone of Sakashima that's an Akroma, you can't really get blown out by just a single kill spell and probably are killing a board, like just the table right there. Like, that's you're probably it's over yeah and you may be wondering why is sakashima a 12 12 when it's copying an akroma mm. and that's because sakashima retains its other abilities so it has two instances of partner yeah which is very very silly last one last commander livio uh livio is the two mana commander he has one white exile creature you control and then like two white tap uh put them all back so he's kind of like the blinky partner guy he allows you to like protect sakashima and other creatures that are like entering and also just reset sakashima easily yeah and reset sakashima easily and then you give livio access to like palancron great whale peregrine drake like these land untapping guys too so you can kind of get comboy there really really easily um so that is also a very powerful option i think that's it when i say that i think that's it uh i mean i think that's it for this episode because we can't we can't talk forever <laughs> and there's definitely stuff we're missing there's definitely stuff that you've probably found with sakashima that sakashima of a thousand faces has like so much potential like there's so much stuff you can do with them really excited really cool mm -hmm. all right the next partner we're going to talk about is falthus shadow cat familiar two and a black for a two two nightmare cat commanders you control have menace and death touch falthus has partner so in terms of synergistic partners a good option is Bruce Tarl. Bruce Tarl grants double strike and lifelink to another creature when he enters the battlefield or attacks. Having Bruce or Falthus have double strike, lifelink, menace, and death touch is pretty significant. It's just going to get in at that point. Yeah. Because nobody's going to want to throw a bunch of creatures in front of that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, a good option if you want to do like a Voltron strategy with Falthus. Timna is a pretty solid option because it just makes it a lot more difficult for your opponents to block it makes it more likely that you'll get your timna cards and then jessica is the one that looks especially sweet and we actually have a list for this partner combination 
So just as a reminder, Jessica is two in a red for a zero loyalty planeswalker. She enters the battlefield with a number of loyalty counters equal to the number of times you've cast a commander from the command zone this game. And she has zero to start creature until end of turn. If that creature would deal combat damage to one of your opponents, it deals triple that damage. And then minus X, Jessica deals X damage to each of up to three targets. Notably, Falthus can give your planeswalkers death touch if they are your commander. So you can just kill three creatures for minus one loyalty on your Jessica. Yeah, and he gets really good really fast. So yeah, God, Jessica is really cool. Faltus, I, I saw Faltus and was like, oh, okay, whatever, like a Voltron commander, but it's actually, it is cooler than that, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really rad. Yep. So friend of the show, Alex White Clay provided a list for this and we'll be linking to it in the episode description. The next partner is Miara, Thorn of the Glade, one in a black for a one, two legendary elf scout. When Miara of the Glade or another elf you control dies, you may pay one and one life. If you do, draw a card. And she has partner. Naturally, this is going to be an elf deck. Mm -hmm. And unlike a lot of commanders that are a lot of partners that have multiple options for what you can do with her, this is you're pretty much required to pair Miara with a green commander. Yeah, you just miss out on a bulk of everything you would want to do (laughs) with Mm -hmm. her. So just put some green in there. doesn't really matter who because you're playing her for the elves and you're playing the green for the elves. And most of the partners don't specifically work with elves. Like the the only other one, uh, the green one from last week. Uh, there's Numa Jiraga Chieftain, um, which yeah. is at the beginning of combat on your turn. You may pay XX when you do distribute X plus plus one counters among any number of target elves. That's probably the best one, but it's honestly mm-hmm. not like a super strong preference. Exactly. Yeah. It gives you something to do with like the ridiculous mana you end up with with elves, mm-hmm. but you could just play any green partner. You could play Rayhan, you could play whoever, and you'll be doing pretty okay. Yeah. So we have a list for a Miara and Numa deck, and that's going to be posted in the episode description if you just want to. Take a look at that. It's pretty explosive elf ball yeah. type stuff. And Miara just gives you another opportunity for to get gas off of the elves that you cast. Who would have guessed that elves make a lot of mana? Mm-hmm. Who would have guessed? This is Nadir, Agent of the Duskanel, a 3-3 elf warrior for five and a black. So six CMC. Whenever a token you control leaves the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on Nadir, Agent of the Duskanel. When Nadir leaves the battlefield, create a number of 1-1 green elf warrior creature tokens equal to its power. Uh, and he has partner. So, woo boy, this is a, a hefty boy. Six mana for an elf partner. But um, I don't think you care that he's making elves. Yeah. I, I don't think you necessarily care that he is an elf. I would just put him in like a, a food chain list or something mm-hmm. like that. If you have the resources to start it up, then you can go infinite with food chain or Phyrexian altar. Yeah. Because he's going to be producing a bunch of bodies each time that you can then sacrifice to cast him again. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or like really, if you have enough mana to like sacrifice him, send him back to the command zone, recast him, sacrifice all the elves you get, he's going to like get all his counters back on him. And then uh, you'll have a bunch of mana floating. Then you can sack him, get even more tokens, recast him, sack all those tokens, so on and so forth. You have infinite mana, infinite tokens. So you'll probably be able to win from that position. Yeah, you'll, you'll probably be able to win. So gameplay prior to that isn't like super crazy. You're playing black, you're playing sacrifice, you're playing with tokens. 
um, stuff Black has done before. Uh, it partners really well with Rehan because uh, things keep the um, counters. Uh, Kaleth gets counters on him really easy, comes down white earlier, gives him access to white. Prava is the same, the big the big booty one. Yeah, plus plus four. I can never remember her for some Too many reason. names. Oh, that helped me. <laughs> Alharu, oh, is the the uh, the first white one we talked yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Prava buffs all of the tokens, gives some big butts, gives you access to white. Alharu the same, but Alharu is the token list. Whenever a non-token creature you control with a plus one plus one counter dies, you get a spirit creature token. Basically, these two guys like feed off of each other. It's gonna be like a graveyard loopy kind of partner thing. Again, he costs six though. So even though it combos really easily, I don't think we're going to see it too often. There's a lot of options in which to food chain combo. So it, I don't think he's going to be like a super popular choice necessarily. Mm-hmm. But can I get into the next guy? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So this is Tormod the Desecrator. I mentioned him a little bit earlier. Tormod the Desecrator is a 4-2 zombie wizard for three and a black. Whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token, and he has partner. Tormod only triggers once per things leaving your graveyard. So I made that mistake when I first saw it. I was like, whoa, you can just exile your whole graveyard. And <laughs> you win. Not that good, but it's actually a lot cooler because it kind of forces you to play with these interesting cards. So if you partner him with Keskit, you kind of get this reassembling skeleton, nether trader, blood ghast, Bloodsoaked Champion, all those little donks that come back easy. The deck into Tormod, who gives you extra value. So, like, not only are you like sacking these things to like attrition to kill your opponent's things, you're getting zombies when they come back to do it. So that's just even more value there. Uh, you're going to be running a lot of those like same creatures anyway. So putting Tormod at the head with Keskit doesn't really like cost you much uh, other than colors. There's so many combos that you can do with him. So like if you entomb Haunted Dead. You can get the self-recurring creatures out of your hand. Exactly. And then just kind of go off to the races right there. Desecrated Tomb and Sir Conrad, they, they have like a similar trigger with Tormod. Desecrated Tomb is an artifact that makes a bat, like a 1-1 flying bat, when a thing leaves the uh, the graveyard. I think specifically a creature though. We're getting fact-checked. Whenever one or more creature cards. Yes. So Desecrated Tomb uh, and Sir Conrad are both creature-based where Tormod works with anything. Uh, so notably, Tormod, if you dredge something, uh, will count that. So if you Stinkweed Imp on your draw step, like you dredge five cards, put that into your hand, that will give you a zombie. And then there's just other cool things. So like Raven's Crime, every time you cast a Raven's Crime, it puts it onto the stack and out of your graveyard. So you get a 2-2 zombie every time you make someone discard. So there's just like a bunch of weird, interesting things to do. Do you have any other things you'd want to say any colors that pair really well with it there's some very good synergistic partners um, in addition to Keskit, kamal gives you an overrun for all the zombies that you're producing um, makes it easy to turn them into like a, a lethal fighting force tevish thought will give you sack fodder and a sacrifice outlet which will just help you go through those graveyard loops more easily ravos will trigger Tormod when he returns a creature from your graveyard to your hand at the beginning of your upkeep uh, and then there's several colors that really help out the the Tormod game plan. If you're in green, there's some very good sack outlets like Birthing Pod, Evolutionary Leap, 
survival of the fittest is really useful both for filling your graveyard with these self-recurring creatures and tutoring out the important creatures you actually want to cast. Red is also has some good sack outlets with Goblin Bombardment, Sheevan Harvest. Oh, and there are some very sweet combos available to any Tormod list in Basalt Monolith and Mesmeric Orb, which will allow you to mill your entire library. And then if you have, say, like a Kozilek or an Ulamog from Rise of the Eldrazi, then they will shuffle your graveyard back into your library and give you that four horsemen infinite shuffles, which will get you infinite infinite zombies, infinite zombie tokens, which is actually really funny. So yeah, this is one of the cooler partners in my opinion. I think this guy just has so much tech, and I think he's a character that people have like cared about for a really long time. He well, I, I might dispute that last part. Apparently, um, he doesn't have a lot of lore behind him. Oh, okay, I guess let me restate that like people have been curious about for a really long time because yes. they've reprinted his crypt many 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 times, times. Uh, on good morning magic gavin verhey was talking about some of the lore behind the different characters and apparently like ethan fleischer passed on this document to the design team it's like here's all the the old characters who haven't gotten a card yet and some of them would be just like pages and pages in detail and under tormod it was just has a crypt <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> um so yeah maybe not uh something that the Vorthoses have been clamoring for yeah. but um people still a very curious. cool card yeah people have been curious um yeah and, and we do have a couple lists here just mm. for your for your reference we've got one from alex Whiteclay, and then another from uh, dr bunny from our discord server yeah uh, so uh, we're gonna have a few discord lists this episode and i want to say thank you to everyone who did submit a list because oh, oh man there's so many yeah there's so many of these so thank you guys and we're on to the green partners. We're doing we're doing pretty good. We're doing good. So Galarna, oh sorry. Ooh, blah blah blah. I'm gonna have a really hard time with the, for some reason this week all the names are really ridiculous or like have like vowels in weird places or R's in weird places. I think the what makes it extra difficult is because in a normal set, all of the phonemes are borrowed from a single culture. Like oh, like yeah. all of the say on Theros, all the names like you just have to like get your brain in the set of like this is how these things are pronounced in like mm-hmm. Greek. But here it's like we're pulling from seventy different cultures for our yeah, seventy yeah. different, uh, different legends. legends. So that makes it a lot harder because you're gonna have somebody from Oteria mm-hmm. right next to somebody from New Phyrexia. Yeah, yeah. So this is Galanra, Collar of Wirewood. So Galar Galarn. <laughs> Gilarnra, Collar of Wirewood, is a 1-2 elf druid for 2 and a green. They have tap add green. When you spend this mana to cast a spell with CMC 6 or greater, draw a card. And they have partner. I saw it and was immediately like repulsed because of the, oh no, green has card. I see card draw and mana on a green card, like a green partner. And then like thought about it and was like, oh no, this is fine. Mm-hmm. This is fine because it's just bad ramp on your commander, and then a slight benefit if you do cast a haymaker. And haymaker tribal is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty down with that. It's hard to fill your deck with a bunch of six plus CMC spells and have it be good. Yeah, I actually when I first made the elf list with Miara, um, Galanra was initially the the first green partner I used, and then I like played it for a while and like hmm, why isn't this ever triggering? And I looked at my list, it's like, oh, okay, I have four cards with CMC, six or greater. Yeah, and that's maybe not I, just Maybe elves. I want a different guy. Yeah, exactly, and that's not even just, just an elf list. Like, I think if you look at most Simic lists or most green-white lists, like, most of the CMC is, like, 
less than five, like five or less. Mm -hmm. And then you might have like a few six plus spells sprinkled in there Mm -hmm. because most like your win conditions. Exactly. Just because a lot of what you're doing is making sure you can play or like their synergy cards or it's like a bunch of elves or it's a bunch of token makers or stuff like that. So you don't end up with these really big boom booms that cost six or more. So I think if you do play a Glanra and play the boom boom deck, then it's actually a deck constraint and you're going to have to find ways to make that work for you as opposed to just filling your deck with good stuff. Mm-hmm. On that note, there is one partner that cares about CMC six or greater, and that is Brian Lynn. Uh, the sea serpent from last time, uh, still not sure if I'm saying their name correctly, but Brian Lynn, uh, the moon kraken is a six, eight or six blue, blue. So eight mana, whenever they enter the battlefield or you cast a spell with six CMC or greater, you can bounce a permanent. So that is a partner that technically works with Galanra. Galanra technically helps you get there. Tapping one for your eight mana partner, though, is um, a hefty cost. And then uh, having it so that Brineland kind of works and like is on the battlefield when you start casting your other boom booms is uh, a chore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like It's like that's a big ask. So this is definitely a casual list. This is definitely um, not something I'm going to expect to see at the higher end of, you know, the CEDH tables. I think this is a deck that will be fun for some people. Um, and I can move on to the next guy, right? Yeah, go for that. It. So this is Iktekik Salvage Splicer, a 1-1 human artificer for four and a green. They have, when they enter the battlefield, create a 3-3 colorless golem artifact creature token. And then whenever an artifact is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on Iktekik and a plus one, plus one counter on each golem you control. They have partner. So this... Golem tribal in green is really interesting. Golems are not a super strong tribe, period. They don't naturally have a lot of death triggers. They don't naturally beg for a lot of sacrifice effects. So building around the ability is like kind of weird. Ramp definitely helps you get to the more expensive ones. We also had Phyrexian Turniform, which is going to be in this set too, that wants to die. So it's like now there's at least one golem that wants to die and kind of feed into this effect. You're going to have to look for like other colors to really maximize the sack outlet aspect of this. Notable golems. You can describe all this if you want, but notable golems or things that you maybe didn't realize were golems. Solemn Simulacrum, Guardian Idol, Meteor Golem, Precursor Golem, uh, Arcbound Reclaimer is a golem, Brass Herald is a golem, Mycosynth Golem obviously is a golem. Most of the golems tell you they're golems. Lodestone Golems, Blightsteel Colossus is a golem, Geode Golem, stuff like that. So you're not actually, the list is not very long. I got through most of it right there. Really, you are going to be looking for like this other color to help you push along your agenda because none of those golems I just listed are like powerhouses in and of themselves. So uh, synergistic partners, Akiri Line Slinger, you get white blink effects. You get red sack effects. Uh, The golems are artifacts. So she gets bigger. Treasure is also something that is more common. Uh, in red and also with smothering tithe and stuff like that so you end up with a lot of artifacts for akiri you end up with a lot of mana for uh, your kind of clunky golems and just a lot of sacrifice triggers on ick to kick exactly and uh so everything's gonna get a little bigger uh rebek so rebek is a four mana three four your artifacts have protection from each cmc of your artifacts Mm -hmm. 
that is really good with your golems. I, I actually really think that's really good just with artifact creatures in general because they end up protecting themselves and their friends. So your artifacts immediately have protection from zero CMC. Wow, got that out of the way. Um, <laughs> which actually is not actually anything to scoff at because like tokens also have zero CMC, so tokens can't block your tokens anymore. Mm-hmm. That adds white to the plan, so you get all that that I just said about the white parts of Akiri plus the added protection of your artifact token aggro plan. Uh, Togo gives you a bunch of rocks, as he's wont to do, and adds a bunch of red sack themes to your deck. Keskit gives you a way to sack your artifacts. It gives black, so you now you have this like black-green artifact list. My guess is it's going to look something like Glissa the Traitor. You get to run a bunch of artifacts that sack themselves and things that sack artifacts and things like that. Dargo, like Keskit, but red, and you get a beater in your command zone. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dargo. And then Armix is a golem. So that's cool. Yeah, and he also cares about artifacts in your graveyard, um, which an Ictikik list is looking to put in there. Yeah, so Armix is the black partner that when he attacks, you can discard a card, and then things get minus X, minus X for your artifacts in play and on the graveyard. Um, so and, and he gets bigger with the Ictekic triggers, so that's cool. So there you go. So lots of weird stuff going on with this guy. He's a very weird guy. I'm going to make some really, really quick notes based on colors. White gives you Blade Splicer, Master Splicer, Smothering Tithe, Blink Effects. Blue's going to give you Wing Splicer and Blink Effects. Um, the Blink Effects, I cannot like understate. They're actually really good in this list because you don't have that many good token producers, mm-hmm. uh, Golem producers, so like being able to reuse the ones that are there, especially like Progenitor Golems and stuff like that, that's awesome. Uh, Red, Goblin Welder, Goblin Engineer, Brass's Bounty, Dockside Extortionate, Gadrak the Crown Scourge, just killing things, getting treasure. Basically what I set up above. And then green gives you Tireless Tracker, Mall Splicer, and Vital Splicer, all of which I would just have put in this list from the (laughs) get-go. Just having these artifacts that sack themselves is really good. We have two lists for this guy. Um, I think one is from Alex Whiteclay, right? And then Mm -hmm. uh, the other one is from Yigdestrel from our Discord. Thank you so much. Uh, They both are looking at ways to kind of use the Ictekic triggers. And yeah, thank you both for for the massive amount of help. Okay, so that's all with this. We have one more green partner and then we're done with the the partners. So okay. this guy is uh, kind of a whimper, going out on a whimper here. This is Slurk All Ingesting. They're an ooze. They are a zero zero for six mana. Just kidding. They have they enter the battlefield with five plus one plus one counters on them. When Slurk or another creature you control dies, if it had a plus one plus one counter on it, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control that has a plus one plus one counter on it. Oh man, word that's so many words. This is very expensive, plus one plus one counter tribal. I think things that are notable to zero zero in the graveyard. It's really hard to use this when it costs six because this is one of those commanders that you want down before you start doing stuff. Yeah. So and it ends up in a bad place for me. Yeah, I, I don't love it. I, there is there are some things you can do. You can play like your Renata. If you're in a white color identity, you can play your um, Good Fortune Unicorn or your Juniper Order Ranger in order to put plus one plus one counters. Make sure that all your creatures just have plus one plus one counters on them. But I think there are better plus one plus one counter 
mm-hmm. decks. It's, oh, yeah. You're, you're right. Like, six mana is just a lot for a commander, and this isn't an extremely powerful effect. No, especially even just in this set, we've gotten other plus one, plus one counter cards that are just better. Yeah, I think that the easiest point of comparison for this card is Mazarek, Crawl Death Priest, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is three black-green for a legendary insect. Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Love that guy. Sorry, whenever a player sacrifices another permanent, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Mm -hmm. So it's just much easier to trigger him, and the reward goes on more creatures. You don't, they don't already have to have a plus one, plus one counter on him, and he's just cheaper. Yeah, yeah, cheaper, you get going faster, you don't necessarily need to like build a bunch of things that put counters into your deck. Yeah, you can just play like a bunch of tokens and fetch lands and sack outlets, and you're off to the races. Yeah, so I don't think Slurk adds a whole bunch to the format. That's all right because we had a lot of hits yeah, so far in this we set. Had, we had a lot of hits, um, and now we're out of the partners and into the multicolor variants. This is Kangi Sky Warden, three white blue for a three three bird wizard with flying and vigilance. When Kangi attacks, attacking creatures with flying get plus two plus zero oh until end of turn. When Kengi blocks, blocking creatures with flying get plus O plus two until end of turn. So this is a, a flying tribal deck. We talked about this yeah. a little while back when we were uh, yeah. <laughs> discussing the the design potential for keyword tribal. And there's plenty of things that work well in this list. There are a lot of good flying token generators out there between Amiria Angel, Migratory Root, Benevolent Offering, Spectral Possession, Battle Screech, Stolen by the Fae. And then there's also a lot of flying creatures that also provide a buff to flying creatures. Yeah. Um, between like Empyrean Eagle, um, Thunderclap Wyvern, uh, Angel of Jubilation. There's also like some non buff, but like useful effects like Warden of Eva's Isle, which decreases the cost for creatures with flying that you cast, or Wind Reader Sphinx, which has uh, whenever a creature you control with flying attacks, draw a card. A lot of stuff out there to make use of this. There's also just some naturally good creatures with flying that you would probably put in this deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's cool that Kangi got a redemption redemption, redemption arc. Yeah. I still don't think this is like the best deck in the world, but I think that I, like this is definitely a casual aggro list. But I like it, and I'm happy that he got the buff that he needed because old Kangi was so bad, so bad, so bad. So this guy is great. He works works well, and I'm glad birds have a new new uh, friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Love that. Uh, this next guy perplexes me. Yeah. So I, I see what to do now because I've, I've talked about him a lot with friends and stuff, but I was confused when I saw him. This is Quain Itinerant Meddler, a 1-3 rabbit wizard for white-blue, so just two CMC. Uh, they have tap. Each player may draw a card. Then each player who drew a card this way gains one life. Uh, so notably, your opponents don't have to draw the card, which was um, upsetting. <laughs> Yeah. At first I was like, oh, you can mind over matter temple bell and mill everyone out. And then I saw like, oh, they may draw a card that doesn't work. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, it doesn't actually matter if they don't want to draw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you can just loot through your entire library until you hit like a silence and the Thassa's Oracle. And then you silence your opponents, you cast your Thassa's Oracle when you have no cards left and you win. Yep. So just a combo commander yeah i mean there are some enchantment tutors but there aren't that many that's true so it seems like there's going to be a lot of games where you're not doing a whole lot yeah it seems like you're gonna just kind of be sitting there playing like white blue control or like 
my guess is we're going to see like group hug into combo finish, which mm-hmm. is how most group hug decks seem to try to win. Yeah. If I was playing this commander, I would try to do control into combo finish, but I think yeah. you're right that most people are going to go with a group hug into combo route. Yeah. I think that's why this guy exists because as much as I tell people, hey, you can, you don't need to do that, mm-hmm. they keep, they keep group hugging. <laughs> they, keep, they keep making that happen. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see that. Uh, they could have done more with the slot, but that's fine. This next one is a banger. So this is Arumi. Um, I said that right, right? Ar- uh, Arumi. Who the hell knows? Arami. God. <laughs> this is, I'm going to say, Arami of the Dead Tide. A 1-4 Merfolk Wizard for 1 Blue Black. They have tap, exile cards from your graveyard equal to the number of opponents you have. Target creature card in a graveyard gains Encore until end of turn. The Encore cost is equal to the mana cost. So just a reminder, Encore is uh, super unearth. You could pay the Encore cost on a card in a graveyard, a creature in a graveyard. Uh, you exile it and you make a token for each opponent you control. Each one attacks an opponent you control and then you sacrifice them at the end of the turn. If that sounds exciting, it is. Uh, do you want to get into the tech for this list? Uh, yes, there's a lot going on with this deck, and I'm still debating as to like how exactly I want to build it because there's so many creatures that work well with this ability. What I've been doing is running a lot of cheap creatures that generate a little bit of value that becomes an extremely good rate when you're encoring them. So for example, like there's a bunch of small creatures that are just like maybe two mana, Uh, when they enter the battlefield, draw a card. So it's not an enormous downside to run these in your deck and just, okay, I'll play my Baleful Strix and just replace itself with a card, gives me something to do with my mana, I have a blocker. Uh, But then when you encore it later, two mana and three cards in your graveyard to draw three cards is a really good rate. So that's just an awesome way to refill your hand. And then it gets even crazier when you have things that sort of go on the offensive. Like a Burglar Rat, for example, for example, is one in a black for a 1-1 that when it enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. So normally not a great card in Commander. You'll play it, it'll be a speed bump, you'll get a little bit of card advantage from your opponent's discarding. But paying two mana to make each opponent discard three cards is actually... That's pretty rad. Actually pretty good. Um, That's a huge amount of card advantage right there. Like two mana for nine cards. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a couple other creatures like that. There's also things that sacrifice themselves for value. So I was looking at things like Dothy Mind Ripper, uh, which is three and a black for a two one shadow. When it's attacking and unblocked, you could sacrifice it so that defending player discards three cards. So the first one, it's just four mana, an opponent discards three cards. But when you're encoring it and each opponent is discarding three cards, it's Again, very very devastating. There's also things like Gilded Drake, which the, the ability to pay two mana and steal three of your opponent's creatures. Yeah, insane. Uh, oh, one thing that was pointed out by DNA on our Discord server, um, Floating Dream Zubra is a pretty solid one to encore. It's one in the blue for a 1-2 Zubra Spirit. When it dies, draw a card for each Zubra put into a graveyard from play this turn. So the first time around, it you know it'll block, it'll draw you a card for two mana, whatever. But when you encore it and you get three of them, uh, they they don't all die at the same time. But even with the like sequential resolution of their triggers, it's like I, you draw one card off the first one, two cards off the second, three off the third for an investment of two mana. Yeah, so six cards for two mana seems pretty 
pretty good. Yeah. So that's like what I've been really digging into with my list is just these like super efficient rates when you encore things. And then in terms of how the deck wins, uh, I don't know. I haven't quite figured that out yet. (laughs) But boy, do I get a lot of value. And I think that's the thing about this list that's like most enticing is that like there's so much you can do with it. You could play like Sepulchral Primordial Mm -hmm. and like Encore Sepulchral Primordial and like get a bunch of creatures or you could get like three Kokoshos, get three Grey Merchants. Yeah, like literally anything. Like you could just like put a Solemn, like just, just like Encoring a Solemn and getting three lands and drawing three cards. Like literally any of these creatures that has like a dies trigger, like they were costed specifically because it happens once. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden when you get three plus copies of whatever the trigger is for that same mana cost things get off the rails really quickly yes <laughs> it's really cool uh so we have a list that we're going to be linking to in the episode description you can go and check that out if you want some inspiration next guy we're not i don't have too much to say about but this is jury master of the review a one one human shaman for red black which is two mana whenever you sacrifice a permanent put a plus one plus one counter on jury master of the review when Jury dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. I mean, he is an uncommon, and he definitely uh, is an uncommon, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this seems just like kind of worse Judith, and Judith wasn't super strong. Yeah. You, know? um, you can make him big really fast because you got treasure in red. Uh, I'm not, really not into this card. I just oh, don't no, think yeah. this adds anything. No, yeah, this, I don't think it does either. There's, there's really not too much that you can do well with him that you couldn't have done with another commander in red black right now yeah i mean the art is super sweet mm-hmm. um, i agree yeah yeah i got an idea for a costume for next year's Halloween. yeah <laughs> but wouldn't really want to build the deck around this guy mm-hmm. next one is tuya bear claw this is a 2-2 human warrior for one red green uh whenever tuya bear claw attacks it gets plus x plus x until end of turn where x is the greatest power among other creatures you control so i i'm Usually not a big fan of Ultron lists. I don't think they're super enticing a lot of the time. I actually really like this, though. Uh, the fact that you can go, like, Tuya, and then you can just drop, like, Deep Slumber Titan, like, Traxos on turn four, and then attack for nine commander damage. <laughs> that's um, that's pretty cool. I like that. That's a lot. Um, like, this actually seems like a legitimate Voltron aggro strategy, and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I love that. That's great. Yeah, it definitely allows you to play a bunch of creatures that are normally terrible because they have some huge drawback if you attack or block with them. But if they're just standing around to, I don't know, inspire to you, then that's awesome. Yeah. So Alex Whiteclay, friend of the show, has provided a list for Tuya, and we're going to be linking to that in the episode description. Yeah, and and just attacking and killing someone because you played a malignus oh yeah that's so probably, sweet it's probably gonna feel pretty good i know and it comes it happens so quickly like even without acceleration you play your tuya on turn three you play your malignus on turn five and that's lethal. someone's dead yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty rad the next commander we're gonna be talking about is hamza guardian of Harashin. this is four green white for a five five elephant warrior This spell costs one less to cast for each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it. And creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it. So this is actually pretty similar to two other commanders printed this year. The first is Nylea Keen-Eyed and the other is Umori the Collector. Yeah. (laughs) So both of them provide cost reduction and 
as a result, they kind of lead to really similar styles of decks, which is essentially just creatures that have their cost reduced down to zero, and then all the green things that printed in the last couple of years that let you draw a card every time you cast a creature spell. The difference here is what you're casting and then the cards that help it so in this case because we're talking about plus one plus one counters we end up playing i think every single arc bound card mm-hmm. uh, so arc bound was it's tied to a mechanic called modular from dark steel way back in 2001 i think the creatures are all zero zeros they all cost some amount of mana they're all artifact creatures so it's all generic and they have modular x so for instance arc bound bruiser is a modular three, and there's a three plus one plus one counter is four five mana. Just a common, just kind of do nothing thing. Oh, and the, the cool thing about the modular cards is when they die, you can put them onto another artifact creature you control. That was like the the cool tech. But that doesn't matter. We just care that they have plus one plus one counters on them. And when Arcbound Bruiser costs zero, because Hamza and a bunch of other plus one plus one counter creatures are out. Things go off the rails really quickly. Yeah, um, you've got your Glimpse of Nature, you've got your Great Henge, you've got Guardian Project, your Beast Whisperer. In each case, you play one of these things for free, you draw one or more cards, you probably draw another creature that you can cast for free, and you just kind of turbo through your deck. And notable, it, it's just creature spells you cast cost one less for each creature you control the plus one plus one counter on it. A one mana armor craft judge is insane. So if you if you have a board full of of guys because you've been going off with your guardian project, and you're like about to whiff, you can spend that one green on your armor craft judge, which has when it ETBs, you draw a card for each creature with a plus one plus one counter on it, and then you're probably back in it again. You're probably just like off on your your bender of casting everything in your deck. Yeah, a couple notable differences between this and the like Umori or Nylea deck. Like with Nylea, because you're reduced by a single one, you're probably just playing a bunch of one CMC artifact creatures. But in this case, they can be things up to like seven, eight mana, and they can be like uh, accordingly, you know, four fours or five fives or six sixes or whatever. You can make use of some engines that aren't really accessible to Nylea or Umori. So I'm thinking things like Elemental Bond, yeah, which is uh, two and a green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature with power three or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. There's also Garak's Pack Leader, four and a green for a 4-4 beast. Whenever another creature with power three or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. I love these cards, and there aren't very many decks in which they are good, so I love that they are playable here, mm-hmm. and they just help your deck become more consistent. Another similar card is Greater Good, which is two green green for enchantment. Sacrifice a creature, draw cards equal to the sacrifice creature's power, then discard three cards. Again, because your creatures are likely to have at least three power, you're going to be um, either card neutral or netting cards on each of these creatures that you sacrifice. I used Sir Conrad when we were talking about Eldraine as like an uncommon that's great for draft, but like actually has an interesting deck around it. Hamza is like the perfect example that this card is fine mm-hmm. in draft it enables a draft archetype it's a reward that's cool but hamza's deck proper is actually like rad and then a cool factoid uh this is semi-topical because edhrec just had a series on this this deck is so color imbalanced this deck runs at least the list that um we're gonna post that alex whiteclay posted for us is mostly colorless a lot of green two white cards and one Selesnia card. I think I would have done pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, looking at this, like, 
I, I don't know if I would have changed or added many different cards because like the white cards and the Celestine cards really don't give you as much. Oh, absolutely. The one white card I could think about adding to this list is maybe an enlightened tutor just to help yeah. you get the things that help you combo off. I want to like point out a couple more things. I know we can't spend too much time on any individual commander yeah. when the episode's <laughs> going to be this long. But this one's awesome. But this one's really cool. In some ways, it, it's very similar to Animar in a lot of respects. Although the major benefit is that whereas Animar, you have to build it up after Animar hits the battlefield and get all those counters. Like Hamza can have it. You can play four creatures with puzzle plus one counters on him. Play Hamza for two, and then immediately everything else you cast is just extremely cheap. It's very powerful, and because of the cost reduction it offers, one card that's excellent in Animar is also very, very, very good here, and that is Ancestral Statue. I think oh, that yeah. may be the best card in the deck because it gets its cost reduced down to zero. It bounces itself so you can recast it again. So you're just able to get infinite Great Henge triggers, infinite Guardian Project triggers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. It's so funny because like who would have guessed that Ancestral Statue would be like this disgusting combo piece in mm -hmm. like these lists like this, but here we are and it is. But yeah, Hamza's awesome, super excited about that and he's the uncommon in the set, so definitely easy to pick up. The rare Selesnia card in the set is uh, Lathiel the Bounteous Dawn. This is a 2-2 unicorn with lifelink for two green-white. At the beginning of each end step, if you gained life this turn, distribute up to that many plus one plus one counters among any number of other targets. Hey, this this is cool. This is great. It, this this was so close to being super busted, but the end of turn trigger really puts it in line, I would say. Now it's just merely a good, fun life gain reward deck. And I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Why? I know green-white likes the, the plus one plus one counter. But why doesn't white get any good life game <laughs> Why why is this why 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 does it have to have green or black to get good life gain rewards? Oh uh, what uh I don't know. <laughs> why do they do that? Bro, I'm I'm just writing mono white off at this point. It appears that Wizards <laughs> has given up on it, so I might as well too. Yeah, we'll get more into that at the end of the episode. But yeah, yeah I, I, I think Lathiel's a coolest. I don't really have much to say about it. You can gain a lot of life really easily. And I recommend that you do with Lathiel. We, we don't have a list for this one, but um, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention what seems to be the best piece of tech for this list, which is Spike Feeder. So Spike Feeder is one green green for a zero zero that enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. You can pay two and remove a plus one plus one counter from it to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. Or you can remove a plus one plus one counter on it to gain two life. So every single turn, including on each of your opponent's turns, you can just remove a counter at one point to gain two life, and then you will get two counters back in return. So over the course of a round of turns, you're going to net four counters pretty much for no investment at all. Yeah, and then of course, like you, this deck is going to be running things like doubling season and hardened scales, similar effects. So if you have any of those on the battlefield, then this is really uh, going to be... Yeah. pumping up your guys yeah next card is abomination of lanawar this is a star star uh, for one black green it has vigilance and menace and its power and toughness are equal to the number of elves you control plus the number of elves in your graveyard i i actually really like this guy this is just like an elf deck 
like the other one we were talking about, but instead of like partners, like black green partners, you get rathed and you play this guy and he's kind of like your plan B. <laughs> uh, That's kind of it. I don't I, think he adds anything to the format, but I like that like play style. As someone who doesn't necessarily like elves having this weird thing in your command zone for like when things go south seems fine to me <laughs> i'm not in love with this guy i just think that if you're trying to do green black elves you've got much better oh, options yeah. like commanders that can generate you cards I- i've never been in love with vanilla commanders because mm-hmm. this guy just gets really big so my guess is that this is going to end up being some kind of like try to kill you with a berserk commander that's like or right. just put like a phoresis or a glistening oil yeah, on it or a tainted strike. Exactly. So that's kind of what I think is like your plan A is going to be like play my elves when that goes south. Now you have to worry about me one-shotting you with my commander. That's kind of like what I see this as being. But um, like, I'm not super excited about it as you can maybe tell. <laughs> it's yeah. not like I'm like clamoring to build the Abomination of Line of War. Okay. All right. Moving on to the next commander. This is Emoti, Celebrant of Bounty. Three green blue for a three one Naga Druid. It has Cascade and spells you cast with converted mana cost six or greater have Cascade. So we have a list that we're going to link to in the episode description. But this is an interesting commander. Rather with this, this is like you're probably going to be ramping because you really want to get to the six CMC spells. You can really do what your commander's trying to do, but you also don't want to be running ramp cards that are bad to cascade into. Birds of Paradise and Llanowar Elves just feel... Feel terrible. Feel freaking awful. Mm -hmm. So I think this is maybe a good home for some of the mid-range type of ramp cards that have kind of fallen out of favor in recent years. So I'm looking at things like Frontier Siege, Dawn's Reflection, Overgrowth, Things that add multiple mana but start at like a three or four mana price point because they are reasonable to flip into, but they uh, will definitely get you all the rest of the way there to your six mana spells. Yeah, something I've been noticing too, like with five and six plus CMC commanders is that a lot of the time, unless I'm running like every land of war elf, I'm not super interested in like one. Just getting turn one to turn three is good when your commander costs three or four, but turn one to turn three isn't as impactful when you still have to wait like two turns for your commander. Mm -hmm. And then that's still two turns where your creature can die and often like can just to some, like someone's playing Hapatra or someone has some other weird little board wipe or someone like makes everyone sack a creature with the flesh bag or, you know, like, yeah, you really have to think about your turn progression carefully Mm -hmm. because I agree. Like Llanowar Elf is not, exciting when you have a five mana commander especially one that like this but i do like the ones that get you from two to five yeah those have been a lot better um so i have been a big fan of devoted druid for example because it will take you you know you play on on turn two and it'll get you the rest of the way there uh draga tree speaker similarly yeah it's great yeah Mm -hmm. that can get you to cast in your five drop on turn three pretty solid yeah there's a few of them that are pretty good but i i just would recommend to people who are playing like five six seven cmc commanders like maybe rethink your what your early ramp looks like into something that kind of serves your game plan a little bit better so just just a thought yeah and and before we move on to the next minute i i do you think we ought to spend a little time on exactly what the six cmc spells are yeah (laughs) in this emoji list um so the the things that to me seem most awesome is i put 
every extra turn effect possible in yeah. here. <laughs> Not only is it really great to for the six CMC ones to like play your part the water veil or your walk the eons and get a cascade trigger in addition to your extra turn, but also like the ones that cost five, like time warp or capture of Jing Zhao, these are the best possible things you can cascade into off of your six drops. I can only imagine like you temporal trespass and flip into a time warp or uh, mm-hmm. any literally anything like that that's so good. You it, casting a treasure cruise and cascading into a any time warp effect seems like incredible value. <laughs> I like this rewarding the big spells thing that they've got going on in this set. I think it's kind of a fair way to play Simic. Mm-hmm. like force you to get to that upper tier of cards i know it's it's so funny how like this uncommon draft pointer is just like a much more interesting commander than the the face card of the precon. oh yes which i think we're about to get into yeah let's uh so we have a list for emoti which we will link to in the episode description but uh let's let's talk about that precon commander yeah so it is simic if you couldn't guess um and it is six mana um so this is ac Tyrant of Dire Strait, uh, a 5-5 Serpent for 4 green-blue. Then Serpent, you say, in Simic, a, a, a Serpent Commander. Hmm. What might that do? Well, uh, you guessed you, wrong. You guessed wrong. Uh, what, what it does do is you may play an additional land on each of your turns, and you're like, okay, okay. And uh, also, whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. That That's it. Hmm. That, that's the whole card. Hmm. Does this remind you of anything? Um, getting like deja vu here okay wait so i'm thinking back to an old set oh man like really old right like um maybe two years ago oh yeah so so really ancient history no one remembers this card probably like tatiova no one no one can remember that right like five mana three three i think yeah i I don't uh, think it was very popular like mm -hmm. and no one played it for sure I mean, I, th- I think it's only like um, uh, it's only the top Simic deck, so it didn't it didn't hit the <laughs> S tier. Really, is she really the top? She Simic is the top Simic so deck um, by a wide margin. Yeah. Oh my god, I knew she was in the top, like the top Simic decks, but it, actually she, number one. Yeah. So this is like if you eight hundred deck lead. <laughs> so AC is Tatiova, but one more mana, and you can play the la- two lands. Mm-hmm. You can do two lands this time. Oh, you don't gain life. Oh, sorry. <laughs> don't gain life off the landfall. Um, I. Why would they do this? This is terrible. If they put this in a standard set, I would have been like, okay, whatever. But this is the face card for the Commander Legends pre-constructed deck. Yeah. Lathless, the bug thing that does crazy things with the counters. Like, you can't put that in a standard set. Like, that's weird. It won't work because there's not enough creatures to, like, enable it. That's the kind of card that you put in the commander set because, like, it uses this mechanical engine that isn't feasible for, like, a pool of standard cards or, like, a, a draftable set, basically. But this can just... You could have put this in literally any block, any set, and it would have been not out of place. Yeah. You could have put this in Theros. You could have put this in Zendikar. You could have put this in Eldraine. And it would have been like, oh, cool, sea monster. Uh, so that's the thing. So like, we initially got to see the packaging for the deck without the face card on it. And it was called Reap the Tides. And actually, you know, that's when we initially saw it. It was actually in French. And it was called like Harvest the Fruits of the Sea. Yeah. And in both cases, like 
that strongly hints at sea monsters. And that mm-hmm, is mm-hmm, the, an mm-hmm. archetype people have been clamoring for. They've like had a mechanical theme. As recently as like Theros Beyond Death, there was a sea monster tribal card in one of those theme booster packs. And people have really been wanting to build this forever. It naturally fits into like a Simic color identity. And instead we get just a slightly upgraded version of the very most popular Simic commander. Like it's like reap the tides. What else? What could that mean? What could, what could that possibly mean except for sea monsters? Obviously. Yeah, I don't understand why they would do this, but they did it. And now this is the world we live in. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to, I think this is our last, is it boy for the set? So this is Captain Vargas Wrath, a 1-1 orc pirate for blue-red. So just 2CMC. Whenever Captain Vargas Wrath attacks, pirates you control get plus one plus one until end of turn for each time you've cast a commander from the command zone this game. The first impression is this probably is better in one of the partner red-blue decks than his own deck. Because the buff he's applying is pretty good once he's died like three or four times, but then he costs like eight mana. Yeah, just like a two mana plus one plus one is not really worth it. Not that exciting. Mm -hmm. And the ceiling on this is nowhere near the ceiling of like a Malcolm, which can just go infinite with Glinthorn Buccaneer and and do some serious damage and generate serious amount of treasure with a few other cards. Yeah, I would happily run this in like a Malcolm x something commander deck rather than build the captain vargas wrath deck yeah exactly just the fact that there is a blue red pirate deck i still want to say is like rad I'll, I'll probably mention that again later in this episode but um not super high on this guy but that's okay mm-hmm. so we got some boros guys uh, this is rayav master smith a 2-2 for red white a dwarf artificer whenever a creature you control that's enchanted or equipped attacks that creature gains double strike until end of turn so the I actually think this is this is like comes down early. There's some really cheap equipment that just go on guys or like attach themselves to guys immediately or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, living weapon already has it on it, so you already get the double strike bonus. There's a lot of actually like really cool stuff that works with this guy, and it gets going immediately, <laughs> like really fast. I don't know, Mask of Memory, Bloodforge Battleaxe, Umazawa's Jite, Destructive Urge, Latula's Orders, Rogue's Gloves. These are all things that like are small, give you a benefit because like the double strike is happening. And in some cases, like the Rogue's Gloves, like if you do end up hitting with it with the double strike, like you're getting this, the wombo combo right there. Yeah, I'm going to read off a couple of those just because I think some of them might be slightly more obscure. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, so Latula's Orders is one and a red. For an aura, it has flash, and whenever enchanted creature deals combat damage to defending player, you may destroy target artifact that player controls. So when you're getting in with multiple hits, well, also, it's awesome that it has flash. So if you're sending in multiple guys, they block one, whatever, whichever one gets through, you toss the orders on it, it gains double strike thanks to Rayav, and then you blow up two of their best artifacts. Like, that's pretty significant for a low investment of mana. And then Destructive Urge is one red-red for an aura with Enchant Creature. Whenever Enchanted Creature deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a land. When you're getting like a single hit off of that is something you can come back from. But if you're taking two Destructive Urge hits in a combat, that's really going to set you back, especially if you're not in a ramp color. Yes, it's pretty bad. And, and this is just like the tip of the iceberg. There's so many things. This is like not even talking about just sort of X and Y. Yeah. So good, like so cool. But also just like imagine that play pattern of like 
Rayev turn two, turn three, destructive urge. You are out of the game. You are banished. <laughs> Another one of these uncommons that I'm like super happy with, though. Like just rad, mm-hmm. uh, amazing. Like this is the power level we want. Kind of let me do the heavy lifting. You just kind of gave me a tool to work with, and mm-hmm. that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. This next one is it is this is Bell Borka. <laughs> Spectral Sergeant, a Star 5 Spirit Soldier for 2 red-white. You note the converted mana cost of each card that is put into exile. Bell Borka's power is equal to the greatest number noted for exiled cards this turn. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. So really what this is giving you is like impulse draw in the command zone. I mean, it, it also counts like exiling things. One of the things that you can do with this is you can run like O-rings, you can run like uh, Path, you can run these things that like exile or flicker things mm-hmm. to buff his power momentarily or for that turn. So it's not like there's no tech for this, but also like there's not a lot of tech yeah. for this. <laughs> so you get an extra card per turn. That's cool, but it seems like the main reward here is just increasing power, in which case that points you towards Voltron, but he doesn't really have anything you need in a Voltron deck. The The power to cost ratio could be as little as zero. Yeah, you could you could very well just exile a land, not have something to O-ring. Yeah. Or, or even then, like, the fact that you have to spend additional cards just to get his power up from zero. And then, like, he doesn't have evasion. He doesn't really protect himself. And, like, four mana is a pretty late turn on which to get started with your Voltron strategy. Yeah, and your draw strategy, too. Like, like let's say the game lasts 12 turns compared to, like, some of these other guys. Like, if, if you're playing Rayav and you drop any of these things we mentioned with Rayav and hit them starting on turn three, mm-hmm. you're getting double triggers on your Mask of Memory from turn three to turn 12 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, the, the benefit is so much bigger and faster in a lot of these other lists than this, like, turn four, once a turn, exile, draw, trigger. Like, yeah. It's just really not impressive i'll give him a pass because we have seen like some cool boros commanders in the last year or so but mm-hmm. this is not a great yeah. commander and, and, design and we are getting good boros commanders like literally in this set too like there there are some boros commanders in this set that are like oh yeah cool i okay. mean like they're heavily concentrated in or in auras and equipment but that's exactly. right. yeah that's true speaking of which we have a face card uh for the boros commander precon this is Wyleth, Soul of Steel, a 2-2 human warrior, one red-white. He has Trample. Whenever Wyleth, Soul of Steel attacks, draw a card for each aura and equipment attached to it. So you were saying something about auras and equipment in Boros. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is fine. This is great. Yeah, I mean, it's neat. It's um definitely significantly different from the Akiri equipment deck that we saw yeah. in zendikar rising because whereas that deck wanted you to go wide with equipment and incentivized running things like ancestral blade or mask of immolation or living weapon things like equipment that provided their own creature so that you are committing fewer cards to the board this guy just he doesn't want any of those he just wants the cheapest equipment to go on him that provide some sort of nominal benefit yeah he's just an aggro like a voltron guy that 
draws you the cards back. I have a list which we are going to link to in the episode description. The gold fishing I've done so far has been like pretty solid. I'm definitely drawing a lot of cards. Protecting him is easier than I thought it would be. I'm running like a lot of um, things like sheltering light or God's willing or flickering ward. Also like auras that grant indestructible like timely ward and shielded by faith. Just ways to protect him because if he does stick around you are going to be like discarding to hand size every turn. Yeah, he does what he says. He says what he does. He uh, loves swords and uh, he'll probably hit real hard. Mm -hmm. So now we are in the three color commanders. So there's only a few of them. The first one is uh, Navinriel Urborg Tyrant. This is a 3-6 zombie wizard for three white, blue, black. So Esper colors. He is hexproof from artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. When Navinriel enters the battlefield, create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token for each creature that died this turn. And then when Navinriel dies, you may pay one generic when you do destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. So the first and last ability are direct throwbacks to his disc, Navinriel's disc. But that middle ability means that he is just uh, eternally going to be a combo commander. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's funny that there are multiple creatures in this set that go infinite, rather multiple commanders in this yeah. set that go infinite by themselves with Phyrexian Altar. Yeah, so there's Dargo, there's the Elf Man, and now mm. Nivinirol. So you can sacrifice Nivinirol in response to the ETB trigger uh, to kill things and then get your zombies. Fun fact. And uh, also highly recommended. Your growth is exponential when you are talking about this uh, Phyrexian altar combo. So you can have him in the command zone. If you have enough creatures die in the turn, you can cast him, sack him to the altar, and maybe well, get all your zombies, sack the zombies for mana, blah, 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 keep going from there. So you, you more than likely will end up with infinite zombies. and Yeah, and, and then uh, it's and then, left as an exercise for the reader to figure out how to yeah, win exactly. from that position. Yeah, if you have infinite mana, infinite zombies, you can like do the thing where like if he's died 200 times, you can sack him in response to his ETB trigger. Like we mentioned earlier, the board, you're left with 2,000 zombies. How do you win from there? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> so um, definitely, I mean, like interesting. There is a little bit of tech more with them but i don't know how much we want to how deep we want to go into that I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it so pretty much everything that's good in a child of alara deck is good here because their their death triggers are so similar so if you're running like indestructible gods like athreos that's awesome you can put a counter on um Nivinurol and then you can still pop him destroy everything but bring him back with the athreos sorry this is athreos the second the, the second yes bantu is great in this deck sorry bon, bantu the glorified and erebos 2.0 are both good in this deck they're indestructible sack outlets that will uh net you value when you toss your your nibbin all to them yeah they put they made so many copies of all these gods now yeah <laughs> so and then it's also very good with like uh recursion engines and sacrifice outlets that are lands or, or that don't really go on the board so, for example, Phyrexian Tower, High Market, those are sack outlets that don't get blown up by Nivinurol. Unholy Grotto, because he is a zombie. Volrath Stronghold, those are able to put him on top of your library. Corpse Stance is a reanimation engine with buyback. Worthy Cause is a sacrifice outlet with buyback. And then Gift of Immortality is a really sweet one. So Gift of Immortality, uh, if you're not familiar with it, is two and a white for an aura. When Enchanted Creature dies, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Return Gift of Immortality to the battlefield attached to that creature 
at the beginning of the next end step. So basically you just have to stack your triggers so that his death trigger resolves before the gift of immortality trigger. So you can blow everything up, gift of immortality returns them to the battlefield, and then gift of immortality returns itself at the beginning of your next end step. It's just as many vengeance, Akroma's Wrath. Yeah, Akroma's uh, yeah, Wrath. Well, okay, as many Nervinurals discs as you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of tech with this guy. Also very good with Planeswalkers because he does, does not call them does out. Does not hit them, yep. Yeah, so there's plenty of good ones that you can run in this deck as well. This next guy came straight out of the uh, 80s and is here to just mess your stuff up. So this is Jared Carthalion, True Air, a 3-3 human warrior red green white so just three cmc when jared carthalian true heir enters the battlefield target opponent becomes the monarch you cannot become the monarch this turn if damage would be dealt to jared while you are the monarch prevent that damage and put that many plus one plus one counters on it so this guy looks like a reference like conan the barbarian or something like that like just chest showing crazy hair giant sword and this list is going to play obviously with the monarch so like the the general play pattern is going to be like you play jared on turn three someone becomes a monarch then you become the monarch and start like earthquaking or just doing really aggressive stuff like that and yeah the idea of like blasphemous act as uh as a pump spell is pretty sweet yeah exactly so whereas we had like a monarch commander in the form of like queen marchessa before that was a lot more like, I'm going to hide over here with the monarch. Don't touch me. Pillow forward a lot of the time. This is very much like, I am the aggressor. I am the monarch. Like, screw you. Screw your stuff. I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to destroy you because I am the monarch as opposed to to the like prison. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like no, fort stuff. I, I totally agree with you. I think it's great that Jared provides more of a win condition for monarch decks. <laughs> because when Queen Marchessa was spoiled, a friend of mine who's like more involved in the CEDH community, his first thought was like, okay, I'll cast my my Marchessa and get the Monarch. And then I'll cast like Jokelhaups. Yeah. And like, you know, just in that scenario, because I'm drawing two cards a turn, I'm more likely to win than anyone else. It's so gross. Yeah. But, yeah, but with Jared, it's like, you know, he clearly provides you a path to victory that doesn't involve like eking out advantage while making everyone's life miserable because you're just slightly better off than them yeah yeah and so this is a really cool deck we got uh dna from our discord to make a list so thank you very much the list plays pretty much like all of the good monarch like you are the monarch cards it runs a lot of damage to stuff cards uh blasphemous act burning of zenai destructive force rolling earthquake savage twister star of extinction stuff like that like the fact that this guy like survives a star of extinction blows up a land and then just like domes someone for 23 like that's that's way cooler than queen march <laughs> that's so much cooler so if you are someone who's wanted to play with a lot of these monarch cards throw them in here just get them in here yep why, why not just go for it it's a cool list and yeah have have a blast get your hair metal on the very last commander we're going to be talking about is Archelos, Lagoon Mystic. It is one black, green, blue for a legendary turtle shaman. As long as it's tapped, other permanents enter the battlefield tapped. And as long as it's untapped, other permanents enter the battlefield untapped. You know, when I first saw this, people were talking about how busted it was 
and I was actually, um, after playing with it and testing a little bit, just doing some gold fishing, it actually doesn't seem quite that strong. Most of what I have to say about this isn't necessarily the tech. It's just that kind of upset people were that the like kismet effect has been oh taken from taken white from white. Yeah, <laughs> nothing about this really screams black to me. Like black actually gives you very little when you look at like the actual list. It's a lot of blue cards. There's some green cards, and you're running black for like tutors and kill spells. It's really not adding a lot to the list. Probably could have been bent is what I'm saying. Probably people probably would have liked him a lot more then. That being said, I think you're right. I think he's merely good. Yeah, the the tricky thing is unlike some combo commanders, this one really does require a lot of pieces in order to make work. If you're mm-hmm. using him as a, a Kismet or a frozen ether, you need the stasis. You also need some way to to break the symmetry on the stasis. So that could be a Vidalcan mastermind to bounce it at the end of each opponent's turn. That could be a Forsaken City to um, pay the cost by exiling cards from your hand. But in each case, like you need multiple other cards, and that still doesn't really provide a win condition. Like, okay, you've perfectly locked your opponents down. I mean, everything is entering the battlefield tap, nothing is untapping. In addition to those two cards to combo with your commander and put the lock in place, you also need a way to win. So it's just like so many cards to make that happen. And then there's other combos that work too, but they are also like many, many card combos. So, yeah. so you can run like say the retreat to Coral Helm and a creature that taps to put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. And and there's, you know, a handful of those types of creatures. And then you have like a bounce land and you play your bounce land. You It comes in untapped thanks to Archelos. You can tap it for mana it bounces itself. It also gives you a landfall trigger that untaps your creature so you can drop the, the bounce land in once more. That's infinite mana, cool, but you still need either a mana outlet or some sort of landfall trigger that will actually win you the game from there. So that's three cards plus your commander plus the actual win condition in that scenario. So it's just really difficult to assemble these combos. There, there's so many pieces that it's just harder to make it work and your deck is filled with these cards that don't do anything by themselves so it's it's the kind of combo commander that i'm not very excited about because you just need to run many many tutors in order to actually do the thing and that's pretty much how i feel about it too i feel like you're just like getting value trying to control the board until you can win and how you win much like this turtle is slow and arduous yeah there's some other there's a few other pieces that aren't actually combo pieces but are good at making the game miserable with Archelos. Like there's back to basics, non-basic lands don't untap during their controllers untap step. So if you have the the Kismet effect off Archelos, it's just most players' lands aren't going to do anything. Mm-hmm. There's Embargo, which is three and a blue enchantment. Non-land permanents don't untap during their controllers untap steps. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose two life. That life is mostly ne- negligible. So it's just a way to keep make your opponent's come in locked because of Archelos and then stay locked. You've done it. If you're still here with us, we have finished the commanders for the set. We have some main deck cards. It doesn't look like there's too many. So this first main deck card is white. Uh, it is Akroma's Will. Three white for an instant. This is part of the will cycle. So choose one if you have a commander, get both. Uh, creatures you control gain flying, vigilance, and double strike until end of turn. Creatures you control gain lifelink, indestructible, and protection from all colors until end of turn. I think me and Nick agree on a precept of this card and disagree on like 
how playable it is. But basically, I think we're both upset that this costs four. And I think we're both upset that this does two things and it does them both not badly. Great. Yeah. Um, the first half, the first group of abilities, flying, vigilance, double strike, that's basically an overrun. And I've advocated, Nick's advocated for like a white overrun for years now. Mm-hmm. Like you can listen back in our archives for like to hear us talking about this. Like stuff that could have, we've wanted something like this for a long time. But this just on its surface paying four to give your creatures flying vigilance and double strike, even if you are getting the wombo combo of like you're also gaining life. The other three abilities are all defensive and I'll get to that in a second. So this first suite of abilities is basically an overrun, but kind of weird because your creatures need to be kind of big in the first place. Yeah. And, and the second half is defensive. It's lifelink for if you're being attacked, indestructible for wraths and stuff like that, protection for damage and stuff like that. But I don't want to hold up four mana for that. I don't hold it for mana for most things unless it's like something insane like a cryptic commander, a notion thief or something that I know is going to just be crazy value. Mm -hmm. And usually I'm only running those four CMC cards because I'm playing a deck that goes like draw go, like draw land pass. Not all right, come at me. (laughs) And I'm sitting there with like my four mana instance all fanned out. So I think this is good enough to get played i think for sure i think this is definitely going to kill people i think there are lists that it's good in i have a god eternal getra list like this is great in god eternal getra you murder someone yeah <laughs> you just murder them where uh that deck has a hard time getting in sometimes so, so really the point of comparison for me is of course going to be like crater hoof or oh, triumph yeah. of the hordes so let's say you have a white deck that makes tokens and that's yeah. pretty easy for white to do you've got your um conqueror's pledge You've got your increasing devotion, whatever. There's lots of ways to do it. So if you have five one ones on the battlefield, this will give them all double strike, and you get to deal ten damage. Uh, if you, in in comparison, if you do triumph of the hordes, that's ten infect. You've killed someone. If you're doing crater hoof behemoth, they're all getting plus five plus five. You've killed someone. So really, like, it's not able to take you from just a handful of piddly guys to someone is dead. Yeah, you have to be playing it in lists where the guys are kind of sizable in the first place. Yeah, like, either the creatures are naturally large or you have access to, like, an anthem in the command zone. Mm -hmm. So if you're running, like, Kalia of the Vast, all your creatures are going to be, like, 5-plus power anyway. This is fine there, like double striking with your dragons and demons is going to be fine. God Eternal Oketra, as you mentioned, you're going to have a million four fours. Okay, I'm I'm happy with them having double strike. And then there's things like Elish Norn, Jarena Kudro, Jorkadeen, Kangi, the, the new Kangi. Mm-hmm. All of them pump for two or more power. And so that's a really significant buff when you add double strike to it. And then there's also Derevi, who in like a lower power Derevi list or like a Derevi tokens list, this could be good there because, yeah, the power buff may not necessarily be significant, but the extra damage, the extra trigger on Derevi for each of your creatures is going to be really important. So, yeah, I, I think this is just in a weird place, and we'll talk about this more at the end of the episode, where I, I like this. I think I'm going to play it. Um, I think it is something that White has needed. I wish it would have just been, like, four mana plus one vigilance flying double. You know what I mean? Like, if it was that, I would have been, like, cooler with it or if it was like just heroic intervention but white. yeah i don't know why we can't get that yeah I, I i totally agree if this was like honestly i would pay 
almost whatever on the front end if it was a really effective overrun. Mm-hmm. If it was like creatures you control gain flying, double strike, and infect. Yeah, uh, then I'd, that would have been yeah. You know, I'd pay. I'd pay five for that. I'd yeah. pay six for that. <laughs> yeah, I'd pay whatever you want for that. Uh, but this is not really good enough on its on its surface. And then again, yeah, I totally agree. The other, if it was just like two mana creatures you control gain indestructible and protection from all colors until end of turn. That is a fair cost for that rate. It has been proven. Yeah. Like pe- pe- the people love it. They've reprinted it. Yeah. Just, I, that would be a good addition to the format. This card, like you, like you've said, does two things. Not great. Yeah. So it's splashy. It's word soup and it is not as stable. Yeah. That's how I feel. But that gets us to some more of the main deck cards, which we have much less to say. This is Kangi's Lieutenant, a one, one flyer for two and a white. When Kengi's Lieutenant attacks, attacking creatures with flying get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So it attacks as a 2-2 on its own, but wait, it has Encore. So five and a white, uh, you can Encore it and attack. When you Encore this, it gets a lot bigger because there's three of them. They all get plus three, plus three. So you're attacking with four guys. And that's not even talking about like any of your other flyers that are there. So it's a cheap flying guy that comes back as an overrun when the late game and you got a lot of birds and stuff like that so where would you play this well i'd, I'd play it in kangi for sure mm-hmm. i'd, I'd mm-hmm. play it in either one of those kangis yep. i would play it in safari too probably because get safari down early pumps all your flyers doesn't die too good if it does die it comes back as an overrun it's probably fine yeah next card do you want to read this guy out? yeah this is extremely niche yeah. uh, <laughs> so this is soul of eternity five white white for an avatar its power and toughness are each equal to your life total, and it has Encore for seven white-white. So there are maybe two decks that could possibly want this card. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The first is going to be Brian Stoutarm. Mm-hmm. So Brian Stoutarm is two red-white for a giant. Uh, he has lifelink, and you can pay red, tap, and sacrifice another creature to deal damage equal to that creature's power to target player. So if you sacrifice a Soul of Eternity to Brian Stoutarm, then you will probably kill someone, assuming you have greater than or equal to their life total. The other deck in, white, in which it might be good is Evra Halcyon Witness from Dominaria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's four white-white for a 4-4 four, four avatar with lifelink, and you can pay four and exchange your life total with Evra's power. So basically with Evra, you're going to make her a 40-4, hit somebody, gain 40 life, Having just a creature that's as large as your life total is pretty solid when you're potentially gaining 40 each turn. Yeah, the only other note is the Encore tokens uh, are very good in Tristani 1.0. So they just, they enter, you gain a massive amount of life. And then if you have the mana, you can populate one of them, gain even more life and have a huge boom, boom, just attack people with. Yeah, that's kind of it. Not much to say there. Uh, Also, not much to say in the next card, honestly. This is Timely Ward. It is an aura, costs two and a white. It has Enchant Creature. You may cast the spell as though it had flash if it targets a commander. And Enchanted Creature has Indestructible. Yeah, what, 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 do, I, what do I do with this? I, I think I might. I, I will probably play it in Wyleth, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the new red-white precon guy. Okay, okay. Um, just as a way to counter removal and then generate additional cards in the future. Okay, okay. That seems... Seems good. Seems strong. But I don't think there's a whole lot of commanders that care about this. Like, yeah, maybe in a SRAM if you're worried about him, about protecting him as well. Yeah, I would put it in like Bruno 1.0 maybe because mm-hmm. 
she it's free to put it on her and she doesn't die after that like sure it's not, not i don't know I, there, we have better rates for this at this point next card is triumphant reckoning so we got the nine mana white mythic sorcery in the set this is six white 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 for a sorcery return all artifact enchantment and planeswalker cards from your graveyard to the battlefield how do you feel about this i've seen like some people be a little salty about this card but honestly yeah none of these nine mana sorceries are like super powerful or most of them are not that good with the exception of like if i set up yeah if you black and blue exactly yeah if you set up the black one you probably could yeah but with this you could argue that it's worse the nine mana sorceries are worse in the colors that can't ramp but i'm not upset that this is not great it definitely only goes into a handful of decks yeah I, i'm expecting to see this in like some atraxilis or something like that you yeah. know like as a way to like oh man i was wrath seven times because that's the only way to beat me triumphant reckoning <laughs> and then you're you're back in it it's doing several things there's very few decks that want like all three components of this card and i think that if you're doing any of the individual parts that you can do it much more efficiently with existing cards. Yeah, no, I exist. Or I exist. I agree. On the I blue agree. Cards. Therefore I exist. I, yeah. <laughs> blue cards. So this is actually in the, uh, pre-con. pre-con. This is trench behemoth. This is a seven, seven Kraken for five blue, blue. So CMC seven return a land you control to its owner's hand. Untap trench behemoth. It gains hexproof until end of turn. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, target creature and opponent controls attacks during its controller's next combat phase. Actually, on its surface, I like this. I mean, the triggers feed into each other. It's a big 7-7, seven, seven, so you can just eat something that's cool. It ensures you get landfall triggers and blue x lists. You can attack with this and then untap to block the thing. So you kind of get the most... You get the have your cake and eat it too kind of it's a seven mana seven seven one thing that's notable about it is that it does provide infinite mana in the sakashima kodama deck yeah because you can bounce it you can tap a land bounce it drop it in off your kodama trigger etc etc so that's a nice little piece of tech so if you have like an amulet of vigor type effect then you can combo off with patron of the moon in this card so that's something notable so there's a a few, very few like corner case pieces of tech for this seven mana kraken. Yeah, and I think as time goes on, we might see more spots for it. But well, well, who knows? The next card is Body of Knowledge. This is a Star Star Avatar for three blue blue, so five CMC. Body of Knowledge's power and toughness are equal to the number of cards you have in your hand. You have no maximum hand size, and whenever Body of Knowledge is dealt damage, draw that many cards. First notable thing, combo goes infinite with Nivmizit 1 and 3. They deal damage to Body of Knowledge, which draws a card, which deals damage to Body of Knowledge, which draws a card. And and, and all the while, its power and toughness are increasing, yeah, so it's just absorbing the damage. Exactly. So it never dies from this. It gets infinitely large. You draw as many cards as you want. That's interesting. Next card is uh, one that's gotten a lot of attention. Oh, yep. It is Hull Breacher, two and a blue for a 3-2 Merfolk Pirate with Flash. If an opponent would draw a card, except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, instead, you create a treasure token. Well, I mean, the easiest point of comparison is Smothering Tithe. Mm -hmm. Um, This is... Smothering Tithe sees a lot of play. It's grown to a format staple almost immediately after it's released. 
Uh, this is cheaper. Uh, it can kind of surprise your opponents, and it replaces the draw, which is extremely powerful. Like being able to toss this in in response to a Wheel of Fortune or a Windfall is going to win you the game, as anyone who's ever played against uh, Leovold will be able to tell yes. you. Oh man, yes. I think this is just a really strong card. I mean, toss it into any deck that runs wheels naturally. That's an easy inclusion for it. If your metagame just tends to run a lot of card draw, it's going to do a lot of work for you. Yeah, you're going to be able to steal a lot of those draws, turn them into mana. Uh, and then kind of like you mentioned. And some decks combo off. Like if you're oh, yeah. in a Nekusar deck, being able to cast this end of your opponent's turn, then my turn, okay, I wheel... I draw seven cards. You guys draw nothing, mm-hmm, and keep on I, I get a whole bunch of treasure, which which I'm going to, with which I'm going to cast the other wheels that I draw off that first wheel. You mentioned this, but the fact that it's a pirate, this is just going to be played in all of the new pirate lists that exist now. Oh yeah, easy. like just just easy inclusion. Like it's a pirate that does something good. It's cheap, and and its effect is uh, large. <laughs> so this is just going to see play like period from here on out mm-hmm. next card is sakashima's protege this is a 3-1 shapeshifter with flash it costs four blue blue it has cascade and you may have sakashima's protege enter the battlefield as a copy of any permanent that entered the battlefield this turn the cascade trigger resolves before the protege resolves so you can clone the thing that you cascade into it's cool that this is permanent. We don't have a lot of clones that can be permanents. It's six mana. And then if you're planning to be whatever you cascade into, you should probably be trying hard. Yeah. I I do not love this. I think that restriction really kills the card for me. Mm-hmm. The mana cost is so expensive. Like I would rather get a cheap restrictive clone than, well, than an expensive restrictive clone. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> um, so I, I really don't love this card. I do want to point out, though, that it does have some interesting characteristics. So the fact that it is a clone that is not a base 0-0 and it is not legendary does allow for some really goofy stuff. So if you are playing a um, Sakashima of a Thousand Faces deck with a red color identity, what you can do is you have Sakashima out just granting the mirror gallery effect. You have your Sakashima's protege out. You cast a Kikijiki. Kikijiki copies the Sakashima's protege, which is just sitting on the battlefields as a 3-1. So it copies the Sakashima. That token comes in. You make that token a copy of Kikijiki, Mm -hmm. which doesn't Mm -hmm. die because of legend rule. You get infinite tapped Kikijikis. And then, I don't know, you got to win from there somehow. Yeah, you can do something with it. If it didn't have the restriction, I would say just like, heck yeah, man, I'm super into this. But the fact that like it has to have entered this turn, I'm sitting around with six mana up that happens yeah i hope my opponent does something cool and if not i guess i'm uh just wasted six mana yeah just really strange so uh not super high on that card but it is it is interesting mm-hmm. next one is sakashima's will this is three in a blue for a sorcery uh and if you control your commander you do both otherwise you pick one target opponent chooses a creature they control you gain control of it Choose a creature you control. Each other creature you control becomes a copy of that creature until end of turn. Again, when they have these bulleted cards, uh, they resolve in order. So you can steal a creature and have your board become that creature until end of turn. Mm-hmm. If you have your commander out. I like this because I like Mirror Weave. I think Mirror Weave is actually like a really fun card. You can do some like really ridiculous, stupid stuff with it. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. The fact that this is mono blue Mirror Weave for the most part is great. That's cool. 
the other thing is like you can play it on cards that buff themselves and like others and stuff like that to get stuff out of out of nowhere so like in regards to mirror weave um noblest of war was a card that uh i've seen mirror weaved mm. a lot of times nice noblest of wars attacking creatures get plus two plus oh until end of turn or attacking creatures have plus two plus oh i think is yeah just how it's worded so if you have a bunch of goat tokens or birds mm-hmm. or anything and the the noblest flies right yeah noblest flies also nice and you mirror weave noblest of war and you have eight of them all of a sudden you're getting plus 16 plus 16 on all of your guys <laughs> or plus 16 plus on all your guys that are flying so like stuff like that is a really cool line of play you can do with mirror weave and now you can do it with sakashima as well also mm-hmm. yeah uh, i think it was a really fun card this next one's I really cool do you want to get into it yeah this is Feast of Succession. Four black black for a sorcery. All creatures get minus four, minus four until end of turn. You become the monarch. It's perfect. It's so good. Although on Good Morning Magic, Gavin Verhey mentioned that it originally costs five. Oh, oh, come on. I know. But still, I'm I'm not going to look my gift horse in the mouth too much. Um, yeah. This is probably not going to break into like CEDH metas, but just in good old-fashioned commander this is going to do a lot of work, I think. Minus four, minus four is going to clear the board of a lot of creatures, tokens, utility creatures, all but the biggest stuff, really. And this is exactly the type of Monarch card I wanted to see when it was first announced that it was going to be in this set. I really wanted Monarch cards that are attached to things you already want to do. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe it was too much to hope for like a staple effect in every color getting the Monarch as opposed to like, you know the court cycle or like random vanilla creature with monarch with monarch yeah. stapled to it um but this is what i wanted to see and i got it and i'm super happy this effect is very playable in commander especially in like less competitive metas and i if you love the monarch it will cost you very little to include this in your deck this next one's fun do you want to i'll read it and then you get into it sure so this is necrotic hex uh six and a black for a sorcery each player sacrifices six creatures. You create six tapped 2-2 black zombie creature tokens. I like this card a lot. Mm-hmm. It just offers enormous amounts of value, but it may be five plus years too late. Yes, yeah. Uh, seven mana is just a lot in modern commander formats. And while this will do a whole lot of stuff for you, you know, you look at... Uh, the, the command zone recently did an analysis and found that like the number of seven mana spells cast during a game of commander is much, much less than you think it is. Yeah. So this just might, uh, while this is extremely powerful, it just might not, might not see it. Yeah. yeah it might not do might what you want there. it to. Maybe if you're in a black deck that is especially good at ramping, you could try to do this because it is like so enticing and potentially so powerful, but I don't think this is going to be like an automatic black staple. I know. Yeah, it would have been back in the day, but things have changed. Yep. Um, next card is Pride of the Perfect. It is a black enchantment, three and a black. Elves you control get plus two plus oh. I mean, that's a pretty big boost for elves. Yeah, this is n- normally like what I like to see in terms of cost to effect ratio on anthems. Mm-hmm. I've like often complained. I just don't think plus one power is good enough for yes. an anthem in Commander. So this is like the kind of stuff I am generally attracted to. 
but I just don't know if this is the right creature type for this type of bonus. In the elf ball list I built around Miara, I don't really plan on attacking with my elves until, you know, I'm activating my Azuri or activating my Allosaurus Rider or casting a Craterhoof Behemoth. Like chipping away for three damage at a time is not how I plan to win the game with that elf ball deck. There are so many creature types that you could slot in for elves on this card and it would be like, wow, I'm so happy to put this in my whatever aggro deck, my salamander aggro deck. I don't think this is the right reward for elves. This is a good reward for an aggressive tribe, but that's not what elves are. Yep, next card is... Uh, this is Rakshasa Debaser, four black black for a 6-6 six, six cat demon. When it attacks, put target creature card from defending player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, and it has Encore for six black black. Yeah, I whatever. This is not super exciting. I honestly like don't care that much about playing out of my opponent's graveyard. Yeah, I, anymore. I, it's just there's just so much variance. I could be up against like say my elf deck where yeah. <laughs> my cards are not only or my creatures are not only extremely small, but they're also useless to anyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I think this is splashy, and I don't care about it. Yep. Uh, this next card is Court of Ire. We're in the red cards. Three red red for an enchantment. When Court of Ire enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, Court of Ire deals two damage to any target. If you're the monarch, it deals seven damage to that player or permanent instead. So that gets me excited, actually, because like that's when you're like, that's when you're cooking. Yeah, we we've said before on the show that seven damage is the the amount that matters. That is the threshold. Yes. Oh yeah. The one thing about this, like, so I would play this in Jared Carthelion because mm. you can steal the monarch from someone, and then if if your Jared deck is working as intended, you're just beating the crap out of things. You're dealing seven to blockers, or you're dealing seven to Jared, him, yeah, and getting now he's a ten ten Huge or a seventeen seven. Yeah, so that's like where I would want to put this. It's also good. It's good in Queen March because uh, <laughs> your pillow fort and it gives you a clock yeah stuff. you're forting around you're forting around i actually do like this card uh, i i think i'm actually a little higher on the courts than i thought i would have been as things are coming to a close here but not gonna just jam them into every list i think but yeah i mean this kind of in my opinion hits a sweet spot for me honestly i feel like it could be cheaper maybe oh, yeah I, I think all of them could have been with like the exception of maybe the green one exception of maybe the blue the one? blue one the blue yeah the blue one was a lot Maybe it's been long enough since I played with the Monarch in Commander that I'm overestimating how difficult it is to keep it. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like, you know, five mana for one card and two damage per turn. I, I'm I'm really evaluating this from, like, the assumption that I, it's going to hit this. I'm going to be at the floor rather than the ceiling. Yeah. And that's kind of how I've also been evaluating most of the Monarch cards is, like, well, if I'm only getting a land every turn or from only getting a one, one, is this worth it? Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's no. Mm. Um, I think the upside on this one is the, uh, that in the decks that you're going to play it in, you probably are going to beat them. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly like feel like they could have tossed the court cycle and just had like staple effects in each color oh, that yeah. give you the monarch, like explosive vegetation plus monarch. Yeah. That would have been great. The, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe they like really wanted to utilize the design space of Monarch where it's just, you know, it's an on off thing that you can play around with. But 
that's that's not what's going to get the monarch into the format which i think should be the priority because it is a fun mechanic that everyone wants yeah now you have to play with one of these and be sad a lot of the time yeah yep no i I could see that maybe next time maybe next time this next card is flamekin herald um this is a very funny card it is a three two elemental wizard it costs two and a red it has the text commander spells you cast have cascade it's a red card, so it's got to be a red commander, but what do you do with this? The the first thing that came to mind was, yeah, if you have a Zergo Bell Striker deck, sure, you'll play it on turn one and try to go the aggro strategy, but if he dies, then you cast this, recast Zergo, and then you hit, say, like, a Mana Crypt, or that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. You could also do something like a Wheel of Fate. That seems worse than just Mana Crypt is always going to be good when you draw it, and it's great to cascade into, whereas Wheel of Fate is abysmal to draw and may not even be like the right thing when mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you cascade into it. I do want to say the one downside is that you're playing Zergo Bellstrike. <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> that is definitely a downside. Would you maybe consider it? Honestly, how many one CMC spells do you run in your deck? Maybe this is also good in like two CMC red commanders. Yeah, in red, it's like Faithless Looting or um, Discard a Land, Draw Two. Yeah, or like magmatic, insight magmatic Insight or Soul Ring. Yeah, Soul Ring. So not too many at two that gets a little bit more loaded because you get more mana rocks and like been playing like a braid a lot and stuff like that but i so. think if i was running a red maybe just like a mono red commander that costs two a slow bad or something mm-hmm. i think i would probably run this yeah i feel like hitting those is well i guess the the question is like is this card worth it? i mean it gets you a card when you cast your commander I don't know. I, 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 I'll test with it. I'll think about it. I, I think it's worth testing in like that very narrow sliver of the format. Yeah. I think you can fairly safely cut one CMC. Yeah, and be all right. And be okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean like if you're in a more competitive meta, then maybe losing out on Pyroblast and Red Elemental Blast hurts. Yeah, no, um, I feel that. But just if you are able to trim it down so you're always hitting Soul Ring or Manic ripped i don't know they could i mean that's that's pretty good it'd just be like a a much goofier trinket mage Uh, no i'm trying to think what the hell i want to say about this guy oh that's fine yeah you can read him off Uh, all right this next card is frenzied saddle brute it is four and a red for a five four orc warrior with haste all creatures can attack your opponents and planeswalkers your opponents control as though those creatures had haste i don't think this card is good enough but I, i really like the design space I mean, I understand it's mostly doing things for limited purposes, but this is a really neat effect, and I would love to see it at a cheaper rate, maybe on an enchantment or something, like a two or three CMC enchantment. Yeah, exactly. Because this just reminds me a lot of Duelist's Heritage, the kind of thing where it will accelerate the game, but you have control over it, and it'll benefit definitely benefit you more than than anyone else. No, I feel the same way. I really like this guy. Uh, I know I'm going to see it attempt to be played in some of our friends lists Mm -hmm. but five is a lot yeah Uh, this next guy though might be enough this is hellkite courser a six five flying dragon for four red red when hellkite courser enters the battlefield you may put a commander you own from the command zone onto the battlefield it gains haste return it to the command zone at the beginning of the next end step immediately the first thing is that if Kiki Jiki is your commander, this goes infinite with him. So you have a sack outlet, you have the dragon, dragon gets you Kiki Jiki, copy the Hellkite on the stack, 
Zack Kikijiki goes to the command zone. Dragon enters. Kikijiki comes back. You repeat ad infinium. Get infinite yeah. hasty dragons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and infinite death triggers, whatever your sack outlet is. Mm-hmm. That seems good. Bladewing the Risen has a similar combo with this. Uh, you cast this with its trigger on the stack. You sacrifice the Hellkite Courser. Bladewing will enter. With its trigger on the stack, you sacrifice it. Hellkite comes back with its trigger, blah, blah, blah. Get infinite of whatever your um, sack outlet generates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, there's also a couple of commanders that benefit from just entering the battlefield, and it's okay if they pop back at the end of the turn. So, for example, like Gishath, getting him down a couple turns early because he, and then swinging with him, getting a whole bunch of dinosaurs, and then sending him back to the command zone. That's still a big positive for you. Also, Hazes on Tamar, you're still going to get that trigger. Next turn, you get all your Sand Warriors. Nickel Bolas, the original, coming in and, and hitting an opponent, making him discard their hand. Ur Dragon coming yeah. in, getting that sick trigger, dropping in a permanent, drawing cards and dropping in a permanent. Super powerful. So I think there are some commanders that having them even for a single turn is so good that it's worth like committing a card slot to this. Yeah, I definitely think this has a place in the format and it's just funny to see it. We'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to the wrap up, but yeah, this is the third mono red creature that goes infinite with Kiki Jiki in, in this in set. set. Yeah, just in this set. Yeah, but this next it's the last red card. It's from the precon deck. This is Blazing Sunsteel. It is an equipment. It is one in a red. Equipped creature gets plus one plus zero for each opponent you have. Whenever equipped creature is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to any target. Wow, I'm like so on board for this. And then equip four. Oh, killed it. Oh, Uh, you killed it with that last part. Like, I'm like, okay, two mana equipment. Cool. Oh, wow. So I get to to spite mare things. Okay. Oh, that being said. Yeah, that being said, it does actually have some cool stuff you can do. Yeah, so I'll get I'll get these out of the way first. There are a couple commanders that cheat equip costs. It's a lot more attractive there. So if you're playing like an Arden or if you're playing Sir Gwyn, both of those can get around the high equip cost. But boy, I I hate that there are multiple equipment in this set that are like very low casting costs and four mana to equip. There's this and the Seraphic Greatsword. Which I... Also, no, I'm not even gonna get yeah, into, yeah. But just in both cases, like this is not what it takes to make an equipment good in Commander. I would much rather pay like four and two for this type of thing. You know, there's so many equipment decks, and that these are just not going to go into. I'm not gonna put this in my um, Wyleth deck or my Akiri deck. I'm not gonna put the Seraphic Great Sword in either of those decks either. I have no ramp. It's an entire turn's worth of tempo to get this onto my Commander. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, there are some creatures in particular that if they have indestructible and lifelink give you infinite life so you can either start with indestructible give it lifelink or start with lifelink give it indestructible yeah just looking at the available commanders in red color identities i think you want to start with lifelink Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of cards that grant indestructible um it comes at a pretty good rate and granting indestructible is just like a generally useful thing you know that there will be removal mass and spot whereas granting lifelink is not usually worth a card and honestly a lot of the lifelink granters are just not things you're excited to put in your deck if you're running like a brian stout arm deck he naturally has lifelink you can run a lot of indestructible granters and not feel bad about it and then once you have indestructible on your brian you put a blazing sunsteel on then the moment he takes any damage uh, he can deal that damage again to himself 
and then he will gain life and trigger the blazing sun steel again over and over and over gain infinite life uh while not dying thanks to the indestructible that's i think the best commander to put this in if you want to play with this card i actually think that's a pretty cool line of play I think Brian actually I want to go back and look at because I think he's gotten a lot of cool tech over the years. There's a couple of commanders that really need to be revisited. Yeah, because I, I, he was really popular when we started playing the format. Maybe we should do like a series, but... Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. There are also just like non-commander creatures that you might be playing anyway that are pretty good with this. So in particular, Brash Taunter and Stuffy Doll each deal infinite damage in the case of Stuffy Doll only to one person, but when you put the blazing sun steel on them so you can put the blazing sun steel let's say on brash taunter brash taunter uh takes damage brash taunter deals that much damage to an opponent and the blazing sun steel triggers where you can deal it to brash taunter then brash taunter can deal that damage to an opponent and deal the blazing sun steel damage to brash taunter and you yeah you kind of keep this loop going where you're always pinging it and something it and something else and uh, you kill the board. Yeah, that seems pretty fun. I know that Brash Taunter has a lot of fans, so it's great to see additional tech to make it work better. So we're in green cards. First up is Dawnglade Regent. Five green green for an 8-8 elk. When it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. As long as you're the monarch, permanents you control have hexproof. It certainly compares well with Archetype of Endurance, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sees a surprising amount of play. Archetype of Endurance is six green green for a 6-5. Creatures you control have hexproof. Creatures your opponents control lose hexproof and can't have or gain hexproof. And that is in uh, a fair number of decks, like I said, on EDH rec, over 7,000. So this is an upgrade. It's both cheaper. It gives you the monarch. You just have to be able to hold on to the monarch if you want to keep that benefit. I don't necessarily think that like green was want for cards. So if I was playing this, it wouldn't be specifically for the monarch. It would be more the hexproof text and i don't know if i want to pay seven for that yeah when asceticism exists yeah it doesn't feel quite as good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so not super down with this guy but i could see people being excited for him yeah i, I feel the same way this next one is bio waste blob a zero zero ooze for two green green oozes you control get plus one plus one at the beginning of your upkeep if you control a commander create a token that's a copy of bio waste blob so this is ooze tribal it's a one one for four then it's two two twos two two twos then oh, four, it, four, it, fours. it squares you're right you're yeah. right, right so it is exponential so yeah so this is going to be exponential growth for you um eventually you're gonna have like 64 power and more so that's nuts that is on turn seven but that is a lot of oomph from one body what four mana investment honestly i've been seeing so much scoot swarm playing with so much scoot swarm lately and seeing how absurd that is that i think that this isn't quite on that level of absurdity but like is still it's fun enough that i might try to put it in some more lists this to me would be a lot more exciting in a world without scoot swarm if it wasn't falling yeah. immediately on the heels of scoot swarm your opponents have a whole turn to kill this thing and really nip it in the bud Whereas they never really have an opportunity with Scoot Swarm. It's like, I play my my Scoot Swarm, I still have priority, the stack is clear, I drop my land, now there are two Scoot Swarms, and your Swords to Plowshares looks real inadequate right now. Yep. Bio Waste Blob uh, does not get to dodge spot removal in the way that Scoot Swarm does. Last note, this loves being mutated. I'm going to say that with all these guys that make copies of themselves forever now. Just giving this guy... 
bass power and toughness and like flying or trample or whatever it's pretty good next card is the green member of the cycle of nine mana sorceries this is reshape the earth six green 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 search your library for up to 10 land cards put them onto the battlefield tapped then shuffle your library some people are saying this is like a win more card some people are saying this is uh just a combo card you just went off of it i don't actually think you necessarily just went off the combo i think you might be able to kill a person if you're doing a land combo with like valakut or something like i think the idea is like it's maze's end yeah maze's end is the big one that i've seen because you get 10 lands so you just get whatever you need but like if you're going to spend this much to try and win you can do better Mm -hmm. for two less mana you get tooth and nail did you guys know about this card you get two creatures (laughs) called tooth and nail or for the same amount of mana you get tooth and nail entwined oh my god yeah, yeah, that's oh man, that's nuts. Yeah, tooth and nail costs nine when you entwine it, and you win. Mm-hmm. You just win. Yeah. Um, crater hoof also costs um, a, you know, a similar mana, mm-hmm. and you just win. Um, primal surge mm-hmm. costs one more mana, but you definitely win. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the one note. I would want to say about this is that I do have decks that when I have 16 mana, I just win. If I have 19 mana, I just win. So I could see this in like a crew fix list or something like that, where like all of a sudden now reshape the earth resolves like the turn after crew fix. And then now I win Mm -hmm. or even like uh, Jared, like Golgari Lich Lord, like if I can get to like 14 plus mana, I can probably just win that turn. So, like, there are some decks where, like, just going from 9 to 19 wins you the game pretty quickly afterwards, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's a lot of lists. (laughs) I think that's very few. Uh, This might be a way to win in Child of Valara, too, because you're using so many lands, typically. The next card is Guildless Commons. It is a land. It enters the battlefield tapped. It, when it enters the battlefield, return a land you control to its owner's hand, and it taps for CC. Uh, this is great. All of the Ravnica bounce lands see play in at least 20,000 decks on EDH rec. So this grants that same uh, acceleration or, well, not quite acceleration. It grants the same card advantage to monocolor decks and to mono brown decks. So I think it will see a significant amount of play. It is, you know, a free card. It's awesome to have like one other land and a guildless commons in your opening hand. It just makes hands keepable that might not otherwise be. And then, of course, there's a combo potential with things like with landfall triggers, things like that. Uh, it just is a useful card that is going to be accessible to a lot of decks. And I think it'll see a lot of play. I completely agree. There are just some decks that want to have a land that taps for two and having another one for those lists is great. All right. The next card is, in fact, the very last card is Commander's Plate. It is one mana for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus three plus three and has protection from each color that's not in your commander's color identity. It has equip commander three and equip for five. What do you think about this card? This card is not for me in particular. I think that the fact that it's better in narrow color identities is cool. And I think that this is really good in like mono red, mono white lists, especially white lists where you can cheat the equip costs and stuff like that. That being said, I I don't know. I I don't run like Darksteel Plate in like 
yeah every list this seems really similar to dark steel plate it seems like if i have synergies with this card i'd be really happy about it but if i am running it purely as like a defensive card i don't know i'm not super high on it i don't know how you feel about it though i'm in the same position this is not really what i want out of my equipment typically what i really like out of equipment is i mean i mean definitely like higher casting cost lower equip cost card advantage ideally or just enough of a buff to be worth it like this lets me get in there yeah but equipping for three to get plus three plus three and like i guess some decent evasion yeah it's just it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like i've hit the sweet spot yeah it's not what i really want to open as my mythic yes exactly <laughs> that well that being said though i i would bet money that much like dark steel plate this is going to be money <laughs> i don't know like the fact that it doesn't protect from board wipes really kills it for me yeah that's the other big thing too is that like i'm playing this as a protective card and it does stop like targeted removal yeah. and like uh starve extinction whatever uh wrath still happens Mm -hmm. like languish might still happen you know like any of these non-targeted board wipes the toxic deluge those happen yeah so yeah i'm not super crazy about it would have preferred some other card in the (laughs) slot but uh, you know we got a lot of good stuff and that kind of brings us down to the end of the episode take the lead okay coming into this i was really on the lookout for powerful white cards mm-hmm. we were told that there would be some we were we were definitely told but yeah uh and i don't feel like we got it i agree with that yeah like like gavin verhe he cited as powerful cards keeper of the accord which which we agree, I agree. yeah that, that's fine that's, that's a playable commander card mm-hmm. um but he also cited the white court he cited promise of tomorrow he cited the the thing that attacks and gets equipment onto the battlefield and equips them and three of those cards are just seem like more niche yeah. they don't seem like generally powerful cards it's like okay this is really good if you're running 30 equipment in your deck or this one is really good if you are playing an aggressive strategy that you know commits a lot of creatures to the board or this one is good if you are a token deck yeah you're gonna say this but comparing court the white court to like Janet like guardian project mm-hmm. and guardian project was from a standard legal set yeah it's like why it's it's just not comparable like yeah we we've defined good stuff on the show before like we have a very specific definition of good stuff and it is things that increase your resources or efficiently answer threats mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and white got one card that could you know, increase your resources at a decent rate, which is Keeper of the Accord. Yeah. But the other cards don't really do that. They're all just worried about your position on board and like the damage you're dealing. And they're not things that go into every deck. They're really specific to these archetypes. Yeah. And like, I do understand that like I could put the white court into any white X deck and it would function. I'd get a token every turn. Uh, yeah. I would Monarch get, would be here. Exactly. I would get one card once yeah. and a spirit token every turn thereafter. <laughs> yeah. And like, like I do understand that this card gives me some value. I do understand that it's generic enough that I could put it into every deck, but like, I'm not going to. Yeah. I don't want to. It's the, not strong enough. Yeah. <laughs> really. For the same man amount of mana, my opponent is casting like Sky Shroud Claim yeah. or Frontier Siege 
or like Hunter's Insight. Yes. Or let's say we're talking about a blue deck, like they've got Windfall and Factor Fiction. <laughs> a black deck has like, you know, a Ancient Craving or Necropotence or and even red decks. If you talk about red decks, like they have things like Jessica's Will or Act on Impulse. They are drawing cards at a decent rate and white is left behind. And white, when it is able to get resources, in, as in the case of Keeper of the Accord, it has to be behind. The Command Zone, like when they did that, that big stats episode, found that the person who goes first has a 30% win rate as opposed to the expected 25% win rate. But if you're in a white deck and you have all these cards that are only good when you're not going first, you're giving up a huge portion of win rate. Either It's like either my Weathered Wayfarer and my land tax is useless, mm. or I take a, a likely significant hit to my win rate. Yeah. Those are my options. Yeah, it feels really bad, and it looks really bad, and the numbers don't play out, and the gameplay experience is mirrors the data mm-hmm. because there's so many times when you go like, Turn one weathered wayfarer pass and everyone's like ha, ha, and like points at you because like you're just never it, it might if if it survives until turn seven when the green player is like overtaken you massively like or turn five or whatever mm-hmm. like yeah okay maybe you'll start to get looking for lands but the advantage that you would get normally of like finding the lands you need in the early game completely yeah and, like, and there's, there's nothing and you don't have anything and it's just terrible that keeper of the accord okay let's say you're in a pod against no green opponents it happened to me last night if you're not going first it will trigger once and then it will stop triggering because you've reached parity with everyone else mm-hmm. if you are going first it will never trigger <laughs> assuming everyone is hitting their land drops it's it's just that's not how you're going to pull the color ahead in this format timely reinforcements was a really heavily played card in competitive formats mm-hmm. the boost that you get from it it only checked that see that you were behind, not how much behind. Like if you had one less creature than the opponent and you had one less life the opponent, all of a sudden, instant speed, here's three one ones and here's six life. Mm-hmm. That's really good. It was really easy to control that because you could sack your creatures maybe. You could control your life total a little bit more with like the shock lands and the fetch lands and stuff like that in, in these competitive formats. White doesn't have that range of control over its own resources in Commander. And I think the argument would be different if there were more cards that let White do that. Mm -hmm. The problem now is that Mono White, it can't pay life. You don't have that many things that are life costs in White. You don't have Shocklands. You could run fetches, but why are we putting the onus of owning all the fetches in Mono White? You know, like, like you have to play all the fetches to be good. That's weird. That that is one thing I do really like about Weathered Wayfarer is mm-hmm. the fact that because it's an activation, you do have control over it. And mm-hmm. there have been games that I have played where, okay, we have the same number of lands, but one of my lands is a fetch land, so I'm yeah. going to crack it, and then with the you know activation on the stack, I'll activate mm-hmm. my Weathered Wayfarer. Or, or like bounce lands and stuff like that. Like There's ways to manipulate it to where you, you still get to yeah, use your guy. Exactly, but really... For a color to be good and you want to be proactive in commander you can't be just we talk so often about like commanders that only care about what your opponents are doing are just not fun because they just might not do the thing you might not really be playing magic unlike your mm-hmm. opponents yeah so and that's what these this keeper of the accord is offering us yeah and so i i just think that if if white had been given ways to mess with its own stuff more 
White doesn't really have any good sack outlets. White doesn't have ways to mess with its life total. White doesn't have ways to goober up its board. So a lot of these catch-up mechanics you can't abuse in the same way that you can in these more competitive formats. Mm -hmm. And that's upsetting to me because it's like, I do want to Pheomancer, Keeper of the Accord. I can't do that in Mono White easily. Yeah. Like, I would love to be able to, like, abuse, like, just sack that token I get for free every turn to do something. But I can't easily in Mono White. So this doesn't really help me there. And then the other cards that have been cited by Gavin and just, I'm probably not playing most of them mm-hmm. like just straight up like most of the new white cards in this yeah set, they are not the on partners, my buy list for sure yeah other than the partners i'm not really gonna play with some of these cards and that sucks that being said mm-hmm. so a while back we did an episode called quantifying color power level in commander and this is about a year ago and in that episode um we just really dug into the edh rec data and we found some interesting things. And and we complain a lot on this show about like white's staples and, and white not really being able to do anything. But white is actually relatively well off when it comes to staples, at least relative to red. Like white has more cards that just see play in more decks and a broader variety of decks. And white's real weakness, uh, we found, is in the lack of good commanders. The question is, okay, white didn't really get the staples it needed in this set. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. Did white get the commanders? Did mono white get the commanders it really needed in this set? Well, no, because they're all partners, right? I I mean, assuming let's say you partner some white commanders together. Do you really do you feel that it like opened up a lot of new archetypes? No, I would say Livio gives you a new archetype Mm -hmm. in like a better archetype in white, like a flicker mono white deck. That's doesn't really exist right now, per se. That's cool. I would say that the other ones, though, like what we have, we have Artifacts and White SRAM has done that. Okay, so that's not new. We have uh, Alharu Solemn Ritualist, who we talked about this episode, plus one, plus one counters and, and tokens. White's done that. Like Anafenza's existed for plus one, plus one counters. Like tokens have existed on other white commanders. So like that's not new. Akroma, I guess, is kind of new, like a, an overrun in the command zone, mm-hmm. but that's not like an archetype. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, there there is like Elish Norn, but Akroma definitely encourages a different swath of cards. You're not trying to just yeah. go wide with bodies. You really are trying to build up these keyword suit yeah, guys. Like I could imagine Arden, Akroma, mono white partner list that's like trying to get some tokens and put some keywords on things for free. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that could, I could see that Mm -hmm. existing, but again, that's compared to like any of the other monocolor partner sets in this set. Yeah. When we're talking about like Sakashima, when we're talking about Kodama, Mm -hmm. when we're talking about like Jessica, yeah, even just looking at like, if, even if I just take some of the uncommon, like if I just partner breaches and Kedis, you know, like these are uncommon partners. I'm going to draw a whole bunch of free cards every turn. Yeah. And, and I'm dealing massive more damage to the table by hitting with my commander. Like that's cheap. It comes down way earlier. You, you get cards off of it, even if it's not cards you want with breaches, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm still getting ahead. I can still play your lands or whatever it is. Yeah. Compared to ones where i like how, how many of them are increasing your resources exactly how many of them are efficiently answering threats? yeah the fact that armored sky hunter was 
posited as one of the really strong white cards in the set blows my mind. Yeah. And it's funny, like, even Blue got a ramp commander in the set. If you're playing Malcolm as your commander, you yeah. are, are way up on mana every single turn. Yeah, Malcolm is one of the cooler commanders in this set, and he's monoblue. He can, you can just play him monoblue. And even then, like, Ghost of Vermeer's De Pietro, there's not a lot of tech, but there is tech for that, and it's a cool list. And, and you, it increases and you your cards. resources. Yeah. It's free cards. Glacian, we talked about this episode, like, tap him, him and artifacts you control. That's just cards. Mm-hmm. And it eats bad rate but it's still cards. You're still increasing your resources as the game goes on. And it could go on and on and on with literally every other commander and every other color in this, in this set, other than like the, the uncommon, like buff your commander cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the thing. Like there are other colors that are good at generating tokens, say that are, are good at building up a board presence. Red has some goblin token generators that can give whites token generators a run for its money. But I think, the difference is like red has sack outlets red has the goblin bombardment red has the goblin trash master red has the dark dweller oracle red has ways to convert these tokens that it's making into other resources and that's what white is missing i I think you made a great point earlier yeah there's just no tools that white has that compared to the tools of the other colors a lot of the red tools have existed for a long time too, like like uh, Shivan Harvest and Goblin Bombardment. These have been sack outlets in red, and they've existed since what, like two thousand? Like yeah, yeah, like like forever. And we've only gotten more, and we've gotten better ones. And this just been part of red's color pie is like converting things, and that's been part of black's color pie. That's we everyone makes joke, just slap pay two life on it, and it's a black card now. You know, like. Black is good at converting things to other things. Green obviously turns creatures into whatever it wants. Like blue can turn cards into whatever it wants. I don't. Need, I, I might actually push back on that. I feel mm-hmm. like green and blue can just generate things. Oh yeah, that's true. And black is really good at converting things. Red is decent at converting things. Yeah. And white can neither generate nor or, or like convert. yeah or convert. Earlier when I was talking about the white payoffs with Encore Life Total guy what do I do with that in mono white? Like, okay, cool. It's huge. And I can hit someone with it. Or I, I that, that's cool. I can, can't even necessarily clone it in mono white until mm. it's a token until I encore it. And then I'm spending nine mana plus however I'm making copies of my tokens. Like the, just the resources aren't there. The, inf- <laughs> the infrastructure for mono white does not exist yet mm-hmm. in the same ways that it does in other colors. And that's crazy. Cause it's been 25 years. Yeah. So, I can see that they've heard us. I just really don't think they've grasped what the problem is. And again, like with the cards that Gavin cited as these are some powerful white cards, I think that goes to show like, oh, they don't actually see what the problem is. If you don't mind, I want to like pivot a little bit. So I I don't think white got there on the staples. I don't think these commanders are really providing what white needs, but the flip side of what we found in that that exploration of color like quantifying color power level is you know white bad commanders decent staples it mm-hmm. certainly has a lot of good removal with red opposite issue so yeah. many good and powerful commanders and then didn't have that core of staples like yeah. red cards see very little play yeah in index and i think red is 
far and away the big winner out of Commander Legends. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. And and I think Commander Legends, and this is to pivot so that you can talk about this, shows what wizards think red should be in Commander. So you kind of mentioned that on the last episode, I think, but do you want to bring it up again here? I mean, we had three cards that combo with Kiki Jiki. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like red is building towards a combo color identity. I had posited it last time. I think it's really confirmed this time. Jessica's will, a powerful ritual that like scales to commander and card advantage. How I mean, how many spells are there that generate mana and cards at the same time? Yeah. Like like it's just pay three mana, cast three spells off the top of your library, potentially. Mm-hmm. Or Wheel of Misfortune, you know, wheels are extremely powerful. You're it's one of the few ways for red to go from zero cards to seven. Just enormous card advantage at a really good rate and then like you mentioned these three creatures that all combo with kiki jiki that i think the only issue now is just like assembling those combos but it has ways to to make it happen and if you're playing like a red black deck mm-hmm. it's like okay maybe what i do is i rely on these red combos for my will win condition and i rely on black for the tutors to assemble them Mm. Or if you're playing red green, same thing. What's the point of going for like Avenger and Crater Hoof off of your tooth and nail when Kiki Jiki and any of these creatures does the same thing and does it way better? Well, yeah. guaranteed kill your opponents. This is an opinion I've had for a long time is that aggro and especially like a piddling aggro, like middle of the road aggro is actually like kind of antisocial when it comes to commander because you don't have the resources. If you're not an Edgar Markov, and you're just like murdering the board because you're so aggressive, you pick someone, probably the person with the most wraths, you kill them, you probably die or you get wrath and you can't play much longer. And then all you did was make it so that the person you targeted and you can't play the game while the game finishes, where with this combo mentality that Wizards is putting out, and the combos aren't even that busted. It's like multiple five mana cards or multiple... like Yeah, and gets interrupted by spot removal. Exactly, gets interrupted by spot removal, like really easily interactable. What Red's doing is kind of what it was doing before. It's like, I don't care what you're doing. I can't interact with that. I don't care. I'm going to do my thing. Mm -hmm. And then you kill the whole table on turn 13 or something like that. Yeah, and honestly, that's kind of how you need to win in Commander. Mm -hmm. Like, green doesn't... Yeah, they don't have really good creature removal, but they don't have to because they can just go over the top. Yeah, they just their resources and guys are much larger and bigger and manier than yours are. Mm -hmm. And you win with them where other colors win with interaction like black wins by interacting with you typically like like yeah or, or they like ex- with you. i mean they definitely like go for a longer game plan by interacting mm-hmm. like a blue deck will counter all the spells that matter but when it comes time to actually win it's it's, it's like probably a combo probably a combo finish yeah yeah that's a thing that's been known in commander for a long time is that uh control into combo is the best archetype mm-hmm. i think just in commander the cool thing about this red combo to bring it back to that point is that it feels very red it's not con- necessarily control into combo it's just like i'm playing these red cards i'm trying to find my things yeah i'm doing my red stuff yeah it's like I, I, I know combo. i can't like compete with you in like the resource in the long-term resource creation i don't have the long game i probably can't even get there on damage yeah but <laughs> you know, man, I can make a lot of mana in one turn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the Dargo combos, like if that gets interrupted and Dargo has like 73 commander taxes. Oh, yeah. On it, like <laughs> you, good luck ever 
podcasting. Yeah, like, like he's just, out of the game. You're screwed. So I I really do like that direction for Red. Yeah, and, Glass Cannon, super Red philosophically. Yeah, yeah, it's great, and I loved all these Red commanders and Red cards we've seen out of this set. And like I am, I do like Mono Red, but I'm I don't think this is just my bias. I think this is like Red is just getting more tools to do more things than especially white is getting mm-hmm. and i mean that's the school for red but that sucks for white yeah i i, I totally agree how do we feel about the other colors of- black got opposition agent which is great but the good stuff cards that black got out of this set are just kind of like expensive board wipes which is fine both of them seem like really fun i would love to play them i don't know how competitive they're going to be but they are very cool commander cards mm-hmm. like this is things that black can be good at and and they're they're doing a good job of making these cards black got more black things Kedis is a perfect example of that like or sorry Keskit. Keskit does exactly what black does he's like sack some things i'll give you some cards yeah and you're like yeah i'll do that and then he not, says, yeah, three three tokens for two cards. I'm like, uh, it's not a great rate, but okay. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'll do it. And that's like all of them, Nadir. It's like, you sack me, I'll give you some tokens. And you're like, uh, yeah, okay, okay, man. Hey, Tevish Zahat. Yeah, Tevish Zahat. Hey, if I make tokens, you can sack him, draw some cards. And you're like, okay, man, mm-hmm. that sounds cool. Yeah, they, I mean, they've really like gotten a handle on what Black should be doing in <laughs> Commander. It's like so many different ways of like converting resources and caring about the graveyard, controlling the board, and yeah, they, they've. I think they are doing a great job of designing cards that are black and feel good, mm-hmm. and and they're doing that for red, and they're not doing that for white. Nope, and, and blue too. Like blue didn't get anything crazy powerful, game breaking. Like whole breacher is cool, and I know there's like controversy there, but it's not game breaking. I feel like the blue cards that have been existing, they oh well, they know that blue has been powerful mm-hmm. for a long time. And they've been using that as an opportunity to to print cards that are weirder or more niche, like Laboratory Drudge. If you can activate things from your graveyard, you draw cards and you're like, okay, that's not super powerful, but blue, I have a lot of powerful things in blue. So like, cool, get in, welcome to the team, bud, like Mm -hmm. come over here. Or even like Mnemonic Deluge, like the nine mana spell. This isn't going to win you the game on its own without setup, but I know people who are going to try and set it up Mm -hmm. because it's, it's it's like a little mini game you play with yourself and yeah. that, that's fine that's fine for blue i like the sphinx um the sphinx is great yeah the sphinx is cool but it's also not like when you the game there is a, a very fine uh, there's a like strong distinction between sphinx of the second sun and expropriate yes like expropriate is you get everything front loaded and you probably win the sphinx of the second sun it's like oh okay first off your opponents have an opportunity to interact with it mm-hmm. it doesn't trigger until the end of your turn mm-hmm it definitely generates a lot of value, probably like eight plus mana and one card per round of turns, but that's spread out over time. So very fair, very cool, and a lot of potential to like interact with it, like you and your opponents, sadly, but it's not completely game-breaking. It's just a cool thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Like even wrong turn, like target opponent gains control of target creature. Instant. That's that's a cool, weird blue card. Yeah, it's good interaction it's not generating massive resources. Mm-hmm. It's not comboing off. It's not uh, ending the game yeah. prematurely. Yeah, it's just... And, and Blue's been kind of in this zone for a while, and I'm, I'm kind of happy about it. I like it. 
these cards are cool. Oh, and one thing I really like about Hole Breacher is that it disproportionately affects the powerful colors. Like it's going yeah. to hose the green decks, the blue decks, the black decks, but it doesn't actually stop impulsive draw. And of course it doesn't do anything to white decks. So I feel like we've covered sort of all of the colors except green. Oh yeah. How, how do you feel like green made out in this set? Fine. I think uh, Kodama is insane. I think people are going to be playing with that for forever. Mm-hmm. I think it got one of the better courts. Uh, I like BioWaste Blob. I think that in general, it just got stuff. Like, it, I don't think it went anything over the top in this set, which is great because we didn't need any more of that. Yeah. But um, not, not to skip ahead or anything, but I actually don't have any green cards on my predictions for the most adopted. Cards yeah, out of this exactly. Set. It seems like everything that was green was either like kind of niche or like splashy boom boom and not super good boom boom <laughs> or something like that and that i'm i'm happy with that yeah i think this is i think they were intentionally like not trying to introduce any beast whispers or guardian projects or the great henge things that just are become format staples forever mm-hmm. because they know that green gets those all the time and they yep. can print those in standard sets but they sure can't print commander cards for white or red and standard sets. So. yep uh, collective sigh mm-hmm. so yeah i'm i'm happy with where green is i seems like it's fun unlimited and i am getting some cool partners out of it so that's fine that's whatever yep yeah so so now there's also a ton of non-partner multicolor legendary creatures and i'm just going to start by saying i think they did a great job opening up archetypes for a lot of these and like creating fun decks for a lot of these colors <laughs> just to go over a few arami the dead tide um blim is crazy belby is crazy again wouldn't have existed before this emoti celebrant of bounty jared carthalian true air just so many of these things didn't really exist beforehand obeka uh Yurlock. all of a sudden you, we just have this deluge of like new archetypes and new cards that are going to be introduced to the format and i feel like even the ones that missed didn't miss in a way that hurt anything which is uh excellent and i'm very happy about so i'm not quite sure how you feel about these guys but overall i'm actually really happy with where the multicolor legends ended up Uh, i am also really happy with the um legends for this set i mean there's they, they definitely introduced new archetypes um, there's a lot of really cool, interesting, especially among the the multicolor commanders like Obeka. That's a brand new archetype. Blim is a new archetype. I'm very excited to build again. N- Yurlock, the the mana burn commander. Yeah. There's just so many new decks that are being added to the format. I feel like they're really doing a great job of searching out archetypes that were possible, or just finding like you know Johnny cards that people love and then just making a legend out of them. So I, I think they really did a fantastic job. It certainly led to us to, it certainly created a lot of work for us. Yes. Um, but I think it's a good problem to have that like we've got so many cool decks that we want to show off because there's just that many good commanders being printed in this set. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show that like they were able to mine this much space with just the set, but how much there still is left. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that all the time. That's why we do custom commander episodes and stuff like that. Like, there's so many of these designs that are super cool that introduce a new archetype into the format that could be a limited archetype. I mentioned way earlier, Hamza, the plus one plus one counter elephant. This is a great draft uncommon that creates a really cool fun deck to play. Even 
just little things like blim putting in these like silly things to give away punishing your opponents but doing it in a completely fair way like having to hit them mm-hmm. like with your four three flyer that's what people want that's like what people want to build around and those are kind of the more fun play experiences people have yeah i'm just super happy overall i think with the exception of you know the one problem card yeah the one which, the one, which we really don't need which we don't need to talk about here i'm just really glad that they did what they did with the set Mm -hmm. with that i think we can move on to our predictions so we're gonna start off by going over our predictions from zendikar rising and just as a reminder these are uh, whenever a new set comes out we predict what the most played cards the most played new cards will be on edh rec um as um as defined by the number of decks that they are added to do you want to read off your predictions for Zendikar Rising? Yes. So my predictions from Zendikar Rising were Demon's Disciple, the uh, Cleric Fleshbag, Vastwood Surge, the Explosive Vegetation, explosive vegetation but better, uh, Morog, the uh, Landfall Extra Combat Guy, Scoot Swarm, we all, we all know and love him, uh, Skyclave Apparition, Balaged Recovery, it's one of the modal double face cards, Valakut Exploration, it's the uh, Impulse Draw Enchantment. Uh, ancient green warden i'm like this is a green stupid mythic people are going to play with this mm-hmm. uh, lithoform engine i also thought people were going to play with felder retreat i just figured would be a really popular card it just kind of has a lot of hats you could hang a lot of hats on that card there's mm-hmm. a lot of angles it has so my predictions a, a lot of them aligned with yours um i also thought that skyclave apparition demon's disciple vastwood surge scoot swarm Balaged recovery um Velikut, exploration uh, i thought all of those would appear in the set um or sorry would i thought all of those would see a lot of adoption in commander the differences are that i some cards that i thought would show up were feed the swarm which is the black sorcery that destroys a creature or enchantment you lose that much life velikut awakening which is the double-faced put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library then draw that many cards plus one Phylath World Sculptor, which enters the battlefield, makes a bunch of plants equal to the number of basic lands you control, and then landfall, put counters on plants, uh, and Hagra Mauling, which is the modal double-faced destroy target creature. Looking at the results, we we didn't do as well as we did with, with M20. Yeah, I, I only got five. <laughs> yeah, although if we want to be generous, the number 11 is Velikut Exploration, which is on both of our lists. Oh, okay, that's cool. So if, if we'll, close. If we'll close. allow that in, then you got six and I got five. But mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about where our, our expectations and our predictions diverge from what actually happened. I think the biggest elephant in the room is the Skyclave Apparition. Yeah. This thing only ended up in 378 decks out of all the decks that existed, like basically 4% of the decks that were created that could have had it since mm-hmm. its inception into the format. And, and just for comparison, like the most adopted card from Zendikar Rising was in over 2,100 decks. Completely off there, and I don't understand. I I also am like kind of baffled on this one. This just seems like a very, very good card. I've been playing with it a lot in Brawl. And yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's. I'm so happy every time I draw it. I do not care about giving them a token at all. No, yeah, and it's it's so much worse than anything else I'm doing. Yeah, and that's true in Commander too. I'm like, oh, I don't want you to have that Soul Ring. Here's a one one. I don't want you to have your three mana like value dork. Here's a three three. Yeah, like, here 
How about instead of that survival of the fittest, you have a 2-2? Yeah, exactly. So it's just been amazing in Commander in Brawl. I It seemed like a new white staple. I don't know why people haven't picked up on it. I knew people were picking them up for competitive. I know it was being played in some competitive which standard. Is, which is weird. Like you'd think, yeah. okay, it's not prohibitively expensive. It's maybe like $6 per. Um, and if people are, are seeing that it is strong in competitive formats, like it's not like people are sleeping on it. Yeah, I have no, I have no clue. I have, there's no way I could uh, explain this weird apparition. Uh, the other one too was I had Demon's Disciple on uh, we both did mm-hmm. just has not seen adoption yet i think it may be because and maybe this is um this is our problem for both vastwood surge and demon's disciple yeah uh, which is that they are similar enough to cards that already exist that people aren't making the effort to swap them out yeah and, and demon's disciple like could be arguably better or worse depending on the scenario maybe mm-hmm. people just you know they're happy with their flesh bag. They're happy with their merciless executioner. They yeah. don't want to think about it. Yeah, and, and that could very well be there. But they did adopt feed the swarm, That's, which well, I did not pick, and you def you called. Yeah, that I underestimated the amount of black players that were upset that enchantment. Yeah, no, maybe I think maybe you just haven't played as much mono black as I have. Um, well, I always just like accepted it. I don't know. I was like, well. Mono black can't get mad at this. <laughs> no, I, I kindled that rage and I knew. So other other notable differences. I, I mean, we both guessed Veilicut Exploration. It's number 11 on our list. But some things that ended up being really popular that were a little bit surprising. Roiling Regrowth. Yeah, did not expect that. Yeah. So this is the two and a green instant. Sacrifice a land, search your library for two basic land cards and put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. So really, it's there's so many good ramp cards that it's hard to see why this is attractive. Like, it's worse than Harrow. I mean, it will get you more landfall triggers than a Cultivate, but in general is worse than a Cultivate. Yeah, I think it's just because it's an instant. Yeah. Maybe. People are like kind of horny for that. Okay. Yeah, like, oh yeah. I'm going instant. they're going to attack into my plant tokens and then surprise. Yeah, yeah. That's my guess, but it's like on most comparisons it compares unfavorably with existing cards. Yeah. So I just did not even was not even on my radar. I don't know if that's going to hold in the long run. It just does not mm-hmm. seem correct to me. Thieving Skydiver was another one that neither of us had on our list. This is the one in a blue for a two one Merfolk Rogue with flying. And it has kicker X, X can't be zero. And when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, you can gain control of an artifact with CMC X or less. With this one, I think stealing soul ring is going to be rare enough that there's going to be a lot of dead draws with this deck. And it seems like I was looking at what decks were actually playing this card. And it seemed like the vast majority were rogue tribal and mm. party tribal. Okay. So it, it just, because it's like one of the better rogues, it is making its way into, into these. Lists. Yeah, but yeah. it's not. It's definitely not like a format staple. Yeah, no, I, I would not have imagined it to be so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the interesting takeaways there. My my big miss was the Lithoform engine. I just assumed people would want. It's not that far down the list. It. It's like maybe number fifteen. Mm, yeah, yeah. I just figured people would want to play with the big new spicy thing. I think it's 
really interesting that Velikut Awakening was a hit, but yeah. Hagramalling was not. And I think what it means is Velikut Awakening is a pretty good rate for what you're getting, being able to swap out any number of cards and replace them at instant speed. People are willing to pay three for that. That's that's not bad. And also there are a lot of decks that want to be drawing a bunch of cards at once. And and there's not a whole lot of cards that are exactly Velikut Awakening. Yeah. So there's not a lot of easy points of comparison. Whereas Hagramalling, there are so many destroy target creature effects and all of them look better than this card. Yeah, even though this card is better than a lot yeah. of them just because it's a so what I'm going, what I'm reading out of this is like, for modal double face cards, people aren't going to get go through that calculation of like, okay, it's probably better for me to run this than a basic swamp. Mm. I think unless the card itself is something that they are excited about, they are not going to run it. Yeah, because I noticed that too with kind of like all of them. So the one of the black cards that was like really popular, or or more popular than I thought it was going to be was Malakir Rebirth, which is the uncommon like you. Choose a creature, lose two life, and then if the creature dies, it comes back. And on the backside, it's a land. I'm not super excited about that, but that saw a decent amount of adoption, not like anywhere near the top 10, like, but more than I thought because people were like, oh, it's a land and this utility thing. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't expect that. I didn't expect people to be like saucy about that card in particular. That was just kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Do you think it the issue do you think it's that Bailaged recovery? I mean that saw that cracked in the top ten of most adopted cards. Mm -hmm. Um do you think Bailaged recovery recovery is like it's close enough to regrowth that people will be willing to make that exception? Whereas like Hagramalling is just so far away from Doomblade that they're not gonna do that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think the calculus is like on the it, it there's like the sexy meter mm -hmm. or like the comparison meter. So like Balagad recovery is just close enough to regrowth that, that they're like, oh cool, and it's a land on the other side. And the rational actor being super rational about like the other end of that with like, oh hagramalling. So like it's, it's a kill spell. so the like amount of calculation required is like inversely proportional the, to the adoption. Yeah, that's what it's seeming like here is that that's probably going to be the case when it comes to modal double face cards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, the next batch we get, because we know we're going to get something, they're not going to be lands on the back necessarily. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm wondering like what that's going to be like. Yeah. To, like how are people going to react to whatever those end up being i mean i think those are going to have more analogs in regular magic because mm -hmm. if it's like creature on one side spell on the other it's like well okay we had evoke back in morning tide yeah yeah it yeah. seems it seems like well it seems like the big winners the most com commonly adopted cards were like landfall related mm -hmm. almost everything was either landfall related or that's that's almost yeah, that is pretty entirely much entirely it yeah yep People, they loved it. They loved the landfall. So good to know. Um, so yeah, so what are your Commander Legends predictions? Okay, these are in no particular order. I will consider a win if any of these make yeah. it into the top 10. Yeah, my, mine are also just kind of like more or less color order, but like not really. Yeah. All right, so number one is Guildless Commons. As I mentioned earlier, all 10 Ravnica Bounce Lands see play in over 20,000 decks on EDH rec easily slots into decks that are trying to do a lot of landfall or just monocolor or mono brown decks that want a little bit of card advantage in their lands. Number two is Jeweled Lotus. This one is a little bit of a gamble because it's possible that the 
price is just going to keep it out of people's hands. But I think there are just many, many decks in which it is very good. It's definitely not all of them, but you know, there's a significant portion of decks. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty comparable to um to Mana Vault and that sees play in about forty thousand decks on EDH rec. So that's why my expectations for this are high. Next card is Feast of Succession. I, I mean, this is like the most universally playable Monarch card that we saw in this set. People love the Monarch. It's got beautiful Seb McKinnon art. I think it just has a lot going for it, even though it's not going to be like a CEDH card. The next card, though, this is... So Hole Breacher is on my list. Not, I mean, it's going to see a lot of play in CEDH. And there are ways, there are decks that naturally want this card. So I, th- I think it's a slam dunk. Similarly, Opposition Agent, going to see play in CEDH. And there are some ways to build around it. For example, Maryland of the Mornsong, Scheming Symmetry. And of course, like we just got a rogue tribal commander and this happens to be a rogue. So I think this is going to see plenty of play. Next is Akroma's Will. I think people are going to try this card. It's got so yeah. many words on it. It's 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 got the most words. It's got yeah. the best words. Mm-hmm. And I think people will play it, even though I don't personally love it. Uh, Keeper of the Accord. It's gotten a lot of attention. You know, it, it definitely suffers from some problems, but Smothering Tithe shows that people or like white players are willing to pay four mana for incremental resource generation. Wheel of Misfortune, this one's no-brainer it looks a whole lot like a really really good card that is priced out of people's hands i think most red players are going to try to try to get a hold of this thing war room this is the land that you can pay three and tap it pay life equal to your commander's color identity and draw a card last time i was like a little down on it. i was thinking like you know okay mono brown okay mono white mono red boros but Castle Lockthwain already sees play in 12,000 decks on EDH rec, despite coming out a year ago. So I think that War Room could have legs. It certainly fits into more decks than Castle Lockthwain. It always comes into play untapped. Not tapping for colored mana is definitely a disadvantage, but I mean, you're certainly going to be paying less life than you would to Castle Lockthwain. It just seems like it has a lot of advantages over a card that um, is seeing a lot of adoption. Uh, yeah, I actually am amazed at how much adoption Castle Lockthwain has got. Yeah. <laughs> That's a surprise. Finally, the Battlelands. I'm I'm just lumping these together because uh, it's pointless to yeah. separate them out. Yeah, the the five the enemy colored lands that end the battlefield untapped if you have two or more opponents. Uh, what are your predictions for the set? Number one is gonna is the Battlelands. Just I just think there's no way they're not gonna get played. People have been wanting them for so long. I think Keeper of the Accord is gonna get played. I am doubling down where. I thought I was going to be instant staple because other instant staples like Mana Tithe were adopted heavily. So I'm going to go in and say this guy is also going to be adopted heavily. Uh, I also think that Akroma's Will is going to be played heavily. I think uh, Hole Breacher, good card types, or, or relevant card types, I should say, messes with your opponents, does some cool things. And I'm going to say, so this is where I'm going to start to diverge from Nick. I'm going to say that like Sakashima is probably going to be played, not just as a commander. I think we're definitely going to see it as a commander. But people like the fact that Mirror Gallery on a clone is going to exist and it enables certain combos. Because Sakashima, old Sakashima is very popular and very well played. So I think new Sakashima is going to be pick up some adoption. I like um, that. Opposition Agent, even Mind Sensor is in so many lists. 17,000 lists, something like that. There's no way this card with the hype train behind it isn't going to be in an mm-hmm. equal amount of lists. Wheel of Misfortune. I was fighting 
I think you're right about Wheel of Mort- Misfortune. I was maybe Sphinx of the Second Sun because like it's a big reanimation target or something. But I think Wheel of Misfortune is going to eke out that spot for me here. It's exactly like you said. It's a reserve list card that's priced out of a lot of people's hands, but not quite. I'm going to go with Commander's Plate. I know so many people that like protecting their commander. It's a mythic in the cool legend set that works with your legends and specifically goes really well into decks that care about equipment. So like SRAM, it's a one mana to cast. Arden, there's a there's a few of these commanders that work pretty well with it. So I think it's going to just get picked up and put in all of these equipment lists. Guildless Commons, like you said, I played a Derevi list in the past and I really... Every land that tapped for two or more, I wanted it. I just get in there. So definitely another one for that kind of stuff. And then Jeweled Lotus, like you said, except uh, I'm not happy about it. I'm not either. Yeah. (laughs) But that is it. So if you've made it this far, thank you. This was an arduous spoiler season for, (laughs) for us and presumably for you who had to listen to all of this too. Um, but thank you. Thank you for sticking around. Yeah, we are going to go on a little vacation after this. Yeah, we're going to take a week off after this one is released. So. Um, but we hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you all. If Obviously, because there was so much to get through, there are things that possibly fell through the cracks. Please, oh, yeah. please tweet at us. Message us if you notice anything that we didn't, that we didn't notice mm-hmm. that you think would be um, like a commander has tech that we, maybe we didn't pick up on or a card that we didn't think would see too much adoption, but you disagree. Let us know. And with that, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Amon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, and Troy. Thank you all for supporting the show. If you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.